Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, Michelle Smallman. How are you doing? Happy Friday, Randy Carricker. I am great. How are you? Friday is great. It's a good thing. Well, you know what I don't like is how dark it is when we start the show now. Oh, just give us a couple of weeks. <laughs> when, when your day lasts like four hours, when it gets light at 8 o'clock and then dark at 2 in the afternoon. It happens so quickly, too. Normally, the sun is shining. The windows yep. are open. We can see all the cars going by on Olive. Now we start the show on Book of Darkness. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing. It's a bummer. Yeah, but you know what? Next spring, it'll be great again. That's <laughs> true. We've got something to look forward to. Emily is out today. Andrew Marsh is in. We're going to talk to Jay Delsing at the bottom of the hour. And if you have any golf questions, if your swing is a mess and you have something specific you want to ask Jay, or if you just want to ask about equipment, what should I ask for for Christmas, that kind of thing, Jay might have answers for you. He's pretty good at that kind of thing. Christmas, you hit the nail on the head there. That's coming soon. If we're starting the show under the cloak of darkness, that can only mean the holidays are right around right. the corner. And there's a lot of people that want to buy golf-related gifts for the people that they love, but they have no idea what to get. So this is your opportunity to ask Jay about the equipment you should be buying and then not so subtly leave a hint for your loved one, your significant other. Jay Delsing said that I should really use this iron yeah. to help my game. And, oh, by the way, the timing is good that we're doing this because, from what I understand from my friends in the golf industry, the supply chain for golf is really backed up. There's a lot of golf stuff out there on the uh, harbor in Long Beach, California. So you want to get ahead of the game and get stuff as soon as you can. Okay. Well, let's get it going. So, 65780. So Text for Jay. Yep. We, we also do have... Uh, one of our fun segments, we've got the peak or pit of the week coming up at 7.15. And they're having a peak this morning in Los Angeles, California, because it was a bullet pen game for the Dodgers last night. And overnight, if you were sleeping, if you went to bed early, you might not realize that the Dodgers trounced the Braves in Game 5 of the National League Championship Series. Joe Kelly starts the bullpen game for the Dodgers, allows a two-run homer to Freddie Freeman in the first, left with an injury later in the inning, and that would be all the runs the Braves would score. Just those two. Not the case for L.A. in the bottom of the second after A.J. Pollock hit a solo homer. And who else? Albert Pujols singled off of Max Freed. And Taylor way back. Goodbye. Chris Taylor. Two-run homer. And the Dodgers are in front in the second inning. So he killed the Cardinals, he killed the Giants, and now he has killed the Braves. Do you like that? If a guy is going to kill your team, do you like to see him kill somebody else too? For sure. Yeah, I do too. Right? Do you, you don't want, I don't know, a lot of people cheer for the team that knocked them out because then you can sleep well at night saying, mm -hmm. well, we lost to the champs. They were yeah. a team of destiny. I think a lot of people felt that way about the Red Sox in 04. Yeah. Because that right. Cardinals yeah. team should have won the World Series. Yeah, we but, congratulated them. But when you look at the Red Sox, they hadn't won in a while. That was a team of destiny. That was a team of roids. 
<laughs> Destiny, as, it as it turns out. Randy, Destiny and Royce, how are you going to overcome that? <laughs> it's hard to beat. So if you just think you, you got a little uh, prick on the arm with Chris Taylor with the Cardinals, well, the, the Braves got bludgeoned in the bottom of the third with Pollock and Albert aboard. It was Taylor again. First and third, one out. And Taylor, little flare. Albies on the run, can't get it. Base hit. In the score, Pollock. Chris Taylor drives in his third run of the game. 4-2 Dodgers in the third. One thing that's become abundantly clear, by the way, in these playoffs is that unless you hit a home run, Albert is not scoring. You can hit a triple with Albert on first, and it won't be a triple. It'll only be a double. Yeah, the wheels have slowed down. Yeah, big time. Well, Chris Taylor was not done, so that made it 4-2. to two. Still 4-2 in the fifth when Pujols reached ahead of Taylor again with Chris Martin replacing Max Fried on the mound. 4-2 Dodger lead. Taylor in the air to center field. That ball's on the barrel. That ball is deep, and she is gone. Chris Taylor, a two-run home run. 6-2 to two Dodgers. And game five is Chris Taylor's game. It's over there, right? Game over? Well, you think game over, but performance maybe performance not over. Performance wasn't over. Yeah, the game all over, but the shouting in the seventh. But rookie Dylan Lee took over to pitch for Atlanta, and Taylor caused some more shouting. 2-2. Uh-oh. Oh. That's deep left center. Chris Taylor. Not one, not two, but three. Chris Taylor. The night of his life. 7-2 Dodgers. Home run number three for Taylor. And the Dodgers went on to win it by a score of 11-2. to two. Michelle, after Kelly went out in the first inning, the Dodger bullpen delivered eight and a third scoreless innings, and the Dodgers stayed alive with the route. Game six tomorrow in Atlanta. The Dodgers will have Max Scherzer on extra rest. And the, if they play a game seven, Walker Bueller will be on regular rest available on Sunday for game seven if they need him. I don't know why I felt confident about the Braves heading into that game. Maybe it was because they had the lead. Maybe maybe it's because Max Fried was going for Atlanta. But haven't we learned our lesson to not count on Atlanta slash Georgia teams in these situations? Yes, we have. Whether it's the Braves or the Falcons or the Hawks or the Georgia Bulldogs. This is just what happens to those teams. And so I don't know why, and, and more importantly, why I would count out the Dodgers, even yeah. though we, we knew that they had a good chance to come roaring back. But it just seems like if you're a gambling person out there, if you're going to FanDuel, keep that in mind. Atlanta slash Georgia teams, this is what they yeah, do. Kind of a bummer if you're an Atlanta fan. And the other day I was mentioning about the Cardinals, Michelle, that if they're going to play this analytics game, they better go out and find a bunch of good players. So Chris Taylor is in at third base because Justin Turner had <laughs> been injured, all right? He suffers a hamstring injury. Chris Taylor in 2016 the Dodgers acquired him from Seattle for somebody named Zach Lee. They identified Taylor in the Mariners minor league system, and the legendary Zach Lee moved on to Seattle. Oh, Zach Lee, yes. Yeah. I remember him fondly. So they go get Taylor and play him at third base last night because Justin Turner is out of the lineup, as we mentioned, with the pulled hamstring. Justin Turner coming over in 2014 when he was released by the New York Mets, and the Dodgers signed him. Mets? Not very good. Say, yeah, we don't need the guy. Dodgers say, well, we'll take a chance on him. Turn him into the, their own Mr. October, their best pro season player ever. One of the reasons that people thought last night that the Dodgers didn't have much of a chance is because not only did you lose Taylor, or not only did you lose 
uh, Turner, but you lost Max Muncy before the playoffs even started. Max Muncy, their MVP this year, 36 home runs, 2016. Released by the Dodgers, claimed, picked up by, or released by the A's and picked up by the Dodgers. Guys that other teams don't value or don't see anything in, teams like the Dodgers and the Giants and the Rays, Randy Rosarena, mm-hmm. they see something in those players. So if you're, Mo, Gersh, DeWitt, if you're going to play this game, you better get people that can evaluate other people's players and see something in other players that, the, the, the teams that have them don't. Oh, and by the way, you don't have Trevor Bauer anymore. No. And you have Joe Kelly, who starts that game, who after four batters leaves, and you have enough arms, enough strong arms in your bullpen that you can put together a bullpen start and a postseason game and have them be lights out. That's the thing about the Dodgers. A lot of people hate on them because they have the the big stars and the big contract guys. But your point is absolutely true. They go out and they identify talent that a lot of people have given up on, and they make the most out of that talent. They develop it. They're a finely tuned organization. They're fantastic. And there are people that are emulating them. They actually emulated Tampa by bringing Andrew Friedman over as their president of baseball operations. And now you see the Red Sox. Heim Bloom came over from Tampa. The Astros, they're... General Manager James Click came over from Tampa. Uh, we're seeing it all over the place. Teams are emulating. Farhan Zaidi was the assistant GM in L.A. He goes over and takes over the Giants. They win 107 games. The front offices right now are bringing in new people from franchise, franchises like Tampa and L.A. That's how they're winning is by collecting a bunch of players. How many teams, if they were in the, just just the Trevor Bauer situation, let's not even talk about Turner or Muncie. If they were just in the Trevor Bauer situation, would be done for the season if they lose an arm like Trevor Bauer. Yeah, there are 30 teams and probably, we saw what happened to the Cardinals with uh, Jack Flaherty going out. Exactly. He's, he was their Trevor Bauer. Probably 23, 24 teams, but there are 16, 18, 20 teams. Well, Actually, there are more than that that don't have a Trevor Bauer. Right. That don't don't have one to lose. But it's not just Bauer. It's his Cy Young won last year. It's Clayton Kershaw's fourth Cy Young. (laughs) It's David Price's Cy Uh Young. I mean, you've got a lot of pretty good pitchers on the shelf there. But you can put in a bullpen game. All right, game six between the Astros and Red Sox tonight. Houston at home with a 3-2 lead in the series. And they'll pitch rookie Luis Garcia. That's not our Luis Garcia. And he'll be going against Nathan Eovaldi. A couple of football notes for you. Yesterday, Judge Christopher McGraw in Missouri Court here in St. Louis, he disqualified Bob Blitz from the case. The NFL had asked for Bob Blitz to be disqualified because he was a member of the St. Louis Task Force and they might call him as a witness. I don't think they will. They wanted him disqualified from the case. They also wanted all depositions disqualified from the case that he had performed. But the problem was he had performed all the depositions in the last four years, really in the last year. And they didn't even ask for him to be disqualified until all the depositions were done. So Judge McGraw said, no, all the depositions are still in, but will not allow him to be a part of the case in the courtroom. So when I saw this news come down yesterday, I texted you and I said, this feels like a really big deal, is it? And your response was? Well, it's not. And here's why. Because other lawyers are doing most of the litigating for the St. Louis side. And Bob, well, behind the scenes, he's a force and he's a great lawyer. Uh, His his attorneys are going to be fine in the courtroom. The other thing is, and I mentioned if the NFL calls Bob Blitz to the stand, their attorneys are, they're out-of-town attorneys. 
not great. They're New York and Washington guys, not great. Bob Blitz, if he's on the stand against those league attorneys, would chew them up and spit them out. <laughs> and they don't want anything to do with Bob Blitz on the stand. Uh-huh. That's one of the main guys they lied to. Sure. So they, what they're doing is they're just playing games, the, the league is. And that's just the what they can do right now. All they can do is play little games because it's checkmate. They aren't going to win this case. So all they can do is play a few games, go try to pacify their owners and say, we tried. Because clearly they aren't going to the owners and say, you know, you're in big trouble here and you better come up with a settlement idea. That's not happening right now. So uh, I just think that their attorneys are doing everything they can to stall and maybe hit a Hail Mary, but that, that ain't going to happen. So he's still on the St. Louis side of things. He's just occupying a different position. Exactly. Okay. Right. And he he was and, and will be in the courtroom. He just won't be sitting with all the St. Louis attorneys. But I'm sure he could still have conversations with them, right, about certain things that are maybe oh, developing yes. in court. Yeah, so he's still a resource. Yeah, he'll be a great resource. Michelle, Thursday night football last night. Cleveland, we talked yesterday about all their injuries, missing Nick Chubb, missing uh, Kareem Hunt. They were not missing a young running back by the name of Dearness to Johnson. For 34, Dearness Johnson inside the 15. Here he is again, left side. Nice cutback, and he sets up first and goal. Handoff here, Johnson bounces it, Dearness Johnson. Johnson right side. Oh, boy, do they have a keeper. The handoff, Johnson again. Wow. Oh, man. Got a block from Wyatt Teller, but Dearness Johnson. I think we know who's getting the game ball after this one. No doubt about it. Joe Buck on Fox. Dearness Johnson, 22 carries for 146 yards in his first NFL start. And the Browns shock the Broncos, 17-14. 17-14, I can and, say it. <laughs> you want to say it one more time? 17-14 was the final score. Awesome. And shout out to uh, former St. Louis Ram Case Keenum, who yeah. wins his first start in two years. Michelle, there are five, five former St. Louis Rams quarterbacks still in the NFL. Five. You've got Case Keenum, Nick Foles. Fitzmagic. Mm-hmm. Garrett Gilbert is still hanging out with uh, Seattle. And Sean Mannion is the backup in Minnesota. That's actually remarkable. More than any other position, more than defensive linemen, linebackers, DBs, running backs, tight ends, anything. There are more former Rams quarterbacks in the league than any other position. To be fair, there were a lot of guys that the Rams had to bring in to, yeah. <laughs> to try out at that position. A lot of guys. A lot yeah. of guys. So there was a big number that we could <laughs> choose from. We're off and running on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is coming up time for Peak and Pit. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Peak and Pit coming your way on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Up into the peaks or into the pit. Peaks and pits. Join in on the conversation with Carriker and Smallman now. Text 65780. This is 101 ESPN. Get your peak and uh, peak and pit texts into 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. Randy and Michelle with you. Andrew Marsh is also here. 
And uh, he's, he's, I'm glad that Andrew didn't have to do like the Vegas game last night. Andrew uh, is in charge of overseeing everything here in the studio for Blues Hockey. So he stays up late on Blues Hockey night. So I'm glad that he didn't have to get up real early today. Yeah, that would have sure. been a pit. Yeah. All well, right. Getting up early is always a pit. Yeah. We should know. Uh, Michelle, I've got peak pit peak. Can I do that? Okay. So you're so, telling me it's a peak sandwich? Yeah, kind of. All right. I'll so, take it. Uh, peak. Two days ago, uh, maybe the best weather day in St. Louis playing golf, peak. Pit, my performance on the golf course, terrible. Peak, experiencing, due to my partner, Michelle Smallman, the uh, New Jersey bagel. They were good? They were outstanding. Yes, thank you very much. You're welcome. Jersey water, huh? So I was in New Jersey last weekend visiting my family. And for those who have never been to New Jersey, they have the best food in the country. I stand by that. And they have incredible subs. They have incredible pizza, but they have incredible bagels. And if you have inquired about this before, like I have, you know that the secret to New York bagels and to New Jersey bagels is the water. Whatever chemicals are in the water uh, that counteract with the yeast or whatever the process is, Joy Vitale can tell us about this, I'm sure, make the bagels the best. And so I'm out there, my Uncle Johnny, he goes to the Uncle bakery. Uncle Johnny! Uncle Johnny gets us some bagels from the bakery. He he brings them in on a Sunday morning. So what do I do? I start throwing things out of my carry-on bag, and I put all of the bagels <laughs> in a big Ziploc bag so that I could get the contraband home because I love St. Louis, but we're not getting bagels like this in St. Louis. Well done. And because I love and care about my co-host, Randy Kerker, I wanted to share the wealth. So I made sure to bring, I think, four bagels. Yeah. One for each member of your family because yep. I didn't want to put you in a tough spot where you're enjoying a bagel and then you had to share. So I'm glad you enjoyed them. Fantastic. And oh. the best bagels ever? Yeah, they're fan. Yeah, best bagels ever. And pro tip, because we've learned that the Jersey water is the key to the bagels <laughs> uh-huh. in Jersey, avoid the Flint, Michigan bagels. <laughs> Just saying. It's sad. But yeah. <laughs> Hashtag sad. Okay, so my peak, Randy, is the start for our St. Louis Blues. You have a perfect road trip to start the season. You're getting all sorts of production from different players on the team. Vladimir Tarasenko looked great this last game. I don't know if you could expect much more from this start from the Blues. So that's certainly my peak of the week. That is a good peak. And I would say my pit is watching postseason baseball because even though it's filled with drama and it's exciting and it's fun, it's never as fun if it's not your team or the team that you watch Mm -hmm. or the team that you cover. Especially when... Our team could have beaten their team. Exactly. But I don't know if we'd be here. I was thinking about that yesterday. Even if the Cardinals beat the Dodgers, I don't think they beat the Giants. I'll do respect. I don't know. They played the Giants stuff during the season. Yeah, they did. But Giants. And Brady, they were hot. You know, they had that momentum factor. Yeah, they did. Do, uh, do they Not fire? during the Dodgers yeah. game, yeah. but, you know, prior to that game, they had so the momentum factor. S- <laughs> since it was so imperative, do they fire Mike Schilt during the National League Division Series? <laughs> That's true. No, Randy, because they wouldn't have had the conversation, the postseason We've conversation. The postseason meeting. Yeah, the, uh, what is that, the exit interview, whatever yeah. that was. Uh, right, but that was my question all along. If the Cardinals would have beaten the Dodgers, if the Cardinals would have beaten the Giants, if the Cardinals would have won the World Series, is the philosophical difference still so great that you're firing Mike Schilt? If the wins and losses don't matter at all, does the ultimate achievement still not matter? Does that still not allow him to keep his job? I'm really interested in that. Or if Mo and Schilt still have the philosophical differences after the Cardinals win the World Series, 
Does the balance of power change and does Schilt win rather than Mo? I don't think so. Do you? No, I don't think so either. I, th- I think when Mo told us that he was secure, he knew he was secure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, Andrew, what do you got for the week? All right, so my my peak, I got to go with Michelle on Wednesday. The, the Blues looked incredible. I mean, especially that game was a nationally televised game mm-hmm. too, which I think showcases just how good this team is. And you had a lot of, ple- a lot of you know, experts, quote unquote, that were giving the Blues some, some you know, good positive reviews which i found remarkable because you know from st louis we usually don't see that so i thought that was good to see um and then my pit i mean last night i'm a huge fantasy football person huge fantasy football person and so i pick up donovan peoples jones to start him uh, is wincing for those who can't see him and it it is uh bipocalypse says everyone's calling it everyone's on buys this week so i pick up donovan peoples jones only to find out that he is ruled questionable at kickoff and it was one minute after my lineup locked so i have a big fat goose egg next to his name in my lineup this week and into the rest of the weekend yeah Yeah. that's kind of a pit that's brittle and by the way Blues did have a great performance. Uh, one other pit for us is, can we finish up with this COVID protocol stuff? Mm. Brandon Saad, man. Yeah. Uh, he's out tomorrow. This, I, I'm done with COVID protocols. I'm, I'm done with it, too. Come on. Let him play. Let him play. Let, Let him, him play. play. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do we have on the text line, Andrew? All right. From the 314, we got a pit here. A drunk driver hit this guy, uh, hit their car in front of their yard. Oh, no. Yeah, so I'm assuming parked car. That's never good. So that actually happened to my family one time. Mine too. Oh, my gosh, what? <laughs> drunk drivers just hitting people's houses all the time? Why aren't we talking more about this? So I was asleep. I was in grade school. I was very young. And, uh, you know, it's the dead of night. And all of a sudden, my dog, Buddy Smallman, starts going bananas. The next thing I know, I hear my dad swinging the door up and said, hey, what are you doing? Screaming. And a drunk driver had come around the curve on our street and ran directly into the front of our house and had knocked down our brick stairs and was oh, trying man. to push the car off of the stairs and get away with it. And <laughs> Sounds like Lawrence Phillips. And let me tell you, we are a house of heavy, heavy sleeping Italians. <laughs> and it was on the other side of the house, so we didn't really hear it or feel it. And had Buddy Smallman not rang the alarm, this guy could have gotten away with it. Wow. I know. Thanks, Buddy Smallman. Shout out to Buddy. RIP. He has yeah. since left us. But. When I was a kid, I, I was probably 9 or 10. I can tell you exactly because there was a 5-3 playoff game between the Niners and the Lions that, that weekend. So I can tell you the exact date <laughs> of when this happened. Of course you can. But uh, my grandmother lived in Glenwood City, Wisconsin. And we're up in Glenwood City, Wisconsin. And my dad had a brand new yellow Buick Electra 225. And I wake up in the morning and a drunk driver, he parked it on the road. We're visiting grandma and he parked it on the road and a drunk driver. Wisconsin has the highest bars per capita in the country for many years. Yeah. Mm. And uh, yeah, a drunk driver hit the back of the car, totaled it. Oh my goodness. So my dad had to change to a blue brand new Electra 225. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Drunk driver, man. Yeah. Uh, That's why I tell my kids don't park on the street at night. Because, because drunk you drivers. never know of a drunk driver. Yeah, wow. that's really totally, scary. Totally don't drink people. and drive, people. Especially, we have Ubers, we have Lyfts. You got a buddy you can call. Yeah, it's just a, the dumbest decision you can make. Absolutely.
Well, the peak for this texter was that they hosted a big blue season opener party in their backyard. Ooh, that's fun. Yeah. The weather cooperated. It was beautiful. It was cold yesterday, but other than that, it's been beautiful the past week and a half. I wonder if it was an attendee of the party. It was the <laughs> culprit here. Maybe. Had a little bit too much fun. <laughs> All right, from the 636, we'll start with the peak this time. This texter bought an electric vehicle. Oh, cool. Congrats. Nice. Peak, yeah. Um, the pit, however, is that his wife has now become irritated as its functions are too complicated. Okay. Mm. Uh, we, we can weigh in here because Michelle has a BMW from BMW of West St. Louis. Correct. Correct. Shout out to them. I have driven a BMW and it was too complicated for me. What? Did you... What was complicated about it? It was like a spaceship. It well, was unbelievable. Well, you just you hit the button and then you put it in drive. There was a lot of stuff. There was a lot <laughs> of stuff in this one. So that's what I was going to ask you. So you don't have any trouble with the complicated nature no, of the BMW. I do not. But I will say my mom drove my car. She drove my dad and I to the airport when we went to Green Bay mm-hmm. to meet you for the Packers game. And she did, she did tell me that after she dropped us off, she had put the car in park. And granted, she had come to pick us up and driven my car out there. And um, so I had gotten the car ready for her, and she just slid in and drove. And she did tell me that she had put the car in park, and we had gone inside. And, the, you know, the people were waving you like, get out of the way. You got to get out of the way. And she's like, I can't figure out how to put it in drive (laughs) because you do have to when you hit park you have to hit two buttons at once which Mm -hmm. you know once you know what that is it's not complicated but if you've never driven that car before (laughs) but so yeah i guess it's not just you randy my mom too (laughs) all right from the 618 i find this one super funny uh the peak illinois football did not get beat last week they uh, also didn't play. True, uh, true. Pitt. Hey, doesn't matter. They did not get beat. That is correct. <laughs> the pit is they play Penn State tomorrow. Yeah. Maybe the Penn State players will be a little bit despondent because they see their coach's name and all of these rumors going to other schools. Or maybe they'll think we need to play that much harder so that he wants to stay and coach us. Okay, that's a way to look at a pit. I'm trying to make it a peak for you. I think I appreciate that. Yeah, Illinois football. As I told Coach Piamo, though, Rome wasn't built in a day. He's got a lot of work to do. He knew that when he took over the job. Yeah, he did. Uh, We get a text here from the 618. BS Belleville back in those days had the most bars per capita, Randy. I'm talking about the state of Wisconsin. And this is... I would not be surprised, though, if the city of Belleville had more bars per capita than than the state of Wisconsin. There's a lot of bars in Belleville. Yeah, Yeah, we like to party there. But the state of Wisconsin, I mean, all they do is uh, they go out and farm... And then they drink, so that's it. If you're going to Belleville, by the way, Copper Fire Bar and Eatery, it's the best bar in Belleville. Especially for the blues tomorrow, right? For sure. Get the glorious slushy, delicious. Yeah, good call. Thanks, Andrew. And thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Next up, what questions do you have for Jay Delsing as we head into the fall here? We're actually in the fall. We're not heading into the fall. We're in the fall. <laughs> but what about golf during the fall? Jay Delsing next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
It's our weekly visit with Jay Delsing here on 101 ESPN. If you have questions for Jay, send them into the text line, 65780. Jay is on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Good morning, guys. How you doing? I'm doing great. Good to hear. Hey, I, I want to present this to you because I don't necessarily agree with all of it. But in the U.K., Dr. Roger Hawks oversaw the Golf and Health Project that was established to underscore the benefits of golf. Among its published findings was that playing golf regularly can help reduce anxiety. Uh, Not really. But it can improve confidence and boost self-esteem, all of which contribute to improved mental well-being. According to Dr. Hawks, former chief medical officer of the European Tour, these findings played a role in government officials prioritizing the opening of golf courses. Do... Does golf, in fact, Jay Delsing, improve mental health? Oh boy, <laughs> I don't know even what the. I don't know. I don't know how to unpack that. I, I mean, it's, it's made heavy, me completely Randy. insane. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys! I can tell At you, least, it, it enhanced my anxiety level. My anxiety level was it goes yeah. through the roof and, many times. And boosts boosts confidence. I never feel worse about myself than when I'm out on the golf course. <laughs> You know, we were talking about that on the show the other day, where if you could climb into a a tour player's head and get into some of the stuff that they mutter, you know, because the ball so seldom goes where you want it to go. When it does, it's almost like a miracle. I, I don't I think the guy's a little off base over there. And not only that, you have no one else to blame in football. If you're a quarterback, you can blame your receiver for dropping a ball or someone for messing up the route or the protections wrong. In golf, you only have yourself to blame. So I don't know how that can produce anxiety. That is a real problem. But you know what, guys? I've never had philosophical differences when I played golf. I can tell you that right now. I do because I want to be good and my body won't allow me to. So that's the philosophical difference. Well, And the, the biggest problem is in Jay, especially as a professional, dealing with the fact that you can be so good one day and so bad the next is the most frustrating aspect of the game. Randy, I mean, 100%. Even on tour, if you'll look at guys, you'll see a guy go 63-74. And you're like, he was 11, there's only 18 holes. He was 11 shots worse the next day. It, it's mind-blowing. But it is, um, it, is, it is ridiculous. But, guys, did you get to hear uh, about how much money we raised at the Ascension Charity Classic this year? I'm not sure if Danny told you, but... Oh, right about $800,000 in our inaugural year uh, uh, Ascension announced on Wednesday. I just couldn't be prouder. It's amazing. And all of that money going to local charities, it's all about North County. And the projection was about two hundred grand, right? And they, they quadrupled that? Yeah, they did. And, and the, the Ascension guys are just unbelievable because they, they, they do so much right. They're already talking about different things for next year and and um, uh, announcements on how to make it better. And when you got to see those charities, you guys walk up there and receive these checks, it really hit me like, damn, this golf is just, it's a societal powerhouse. It makes everybody crazy to play. And maybe when the round's over, that's why they want to donate so much money because they're glad it's over. But it, it, it was phenomenal to see. And, um, and that's just year one. Yeah, and congratulations to Nick Ragone and everyone over mm-hmm. at Ascension. They did an unbelievable job. Well, Jay, we've asked people for questions for you today because you're a wealth of golf knowledge and a lot of people want to learn about the game and or how to get better. So we have some questions for you. I hope that's okay. Oh, yeah. 
All right, here's question well, number one. Answer, <laughs> okay, question number one, Jay, from the 314. Dear Jay, I'm on a budget, and I picked up golf recreationally. I would like to play better. Is there anywhere that you can recommend for cheap lessons that will also be effective? Yeah, go to Pro-Am Golf. Pro-Am Golf on Brentwood Boulevard. They are fantastic. And for anybody out there that doesn't want to pay $600 for drivers, they have a tremendous inventory of slightly used stuff. And Tom DeGrand, they've got all of the um, the flight scopes, the launch monitors, the GC quad. Uh, they've got a simulator over there. It And he is not expensive. So, um, uh Pro-Am Golf Centers on Brentwood, for sure. Jay, this one is from the 618. It says, hi, Jay, I've been struggling hitting off of downhill lies. I'm often flaring it off to the right. Any insight to help get through the ball better and get it started on the right line? So he's uh, he's working from a downhill lie. How should he set up? So you've got to match your shoulders. Man, I, I've just been on all these terrible lies before, so that's why I, I know these answers. You, <laughs> one, of the key, one of the keys now, in these downhill lies, is you've got to get your shoulders, you guys, to kind of match the terrain. And so it's really hard a downhill lie for a right-handed golfer. You've got to get your front shoulder lower than your your back shoulder, or else you're going to just try to manipulate the club in there to try to get the ball hit. So get your shoulders to match the terrain, and then your arms will naturally swing on that plane, and it makes it so much easier. Okay, Jay, we need you to put your white wig on. We need a judgment on this one. From the 636, my golf buds want to have the leaf rule apply everywhere. I insist it's only invoked when your ball is in leaves on the fairway. Do I need to find some new golf buddies? Oh, without question. But I will say this, and I miss my dad every single day. When my dad was alive, he would invoke the leaf rule starting about June. If there were two leaves on the ground, he'd be like, son, I can't find my ball. I'm like, I know, Dad, there's leaves everywhere. Go ahead and drop one. I, I think you, you can get some players that, that, that run a little uh, uh, beyond the lines when they're looking for, for, leaf, for uh, relief from the lost ball. You know, right on the edge of the woods or something like that. It sounds like that's what that guy's friends are doing. I was talking to some guys in the golf industry who were telling me that yellow balls sit on the shelves all summer long, and then when fall hits and all the yellow leaves start falling, people start buying yellow balls. They said, "Come on, this isn't what it's about. This is this is white ball time. Yellow ball time is during the summer." I know. I don't see the yellow ball better, Randy. I mean, I know my eyes are incredibly old and tired, but damn, I just don't see it better. I do. But at this time of year, I can't pick it out from a leaf. I, there are no white leaves. I'm, I'm playing white balls all the time this time of year. That's like the guy that plays the white ball when it snows. And, you know, there are crazies <laughs> out there that play golf when it snows. I mean, it, it, they've, got, they've got these these tournaments and frozen golf courses and stuff. It's hysterical. I'm like, I don't know where that ball went. No way. All right, Jay, what do you have coming up on your show on Sunday morning? I've got John Lester, uh, who was just fantastic. Uh, just what a great guy. I, I had forgotten, you guys, about his his bouts with cancer when he was just coming up to the bigs. And uh, he talked a lot about some of the mental stuff that Bob Tewksbury created for him to be sharper mentally when he was pitching. And so I love that side of the game because it all fits in with being a nutbag from playing so much <laughs> golf and being a mental you know, midget. So I love the mental side of it. So John Lester's a guest this week, and he was really fun. That'll be great. Looking forward to that. Sunday morning, 9 a.m. golf with Jay Delsing. Always good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. Have a great weekend. 
You guys too. Love the show. Thanks. See you later. That is our buddy Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, Randy, and Andrew in for Emily today. Michelle, Dateline, Washington, D.C. Two House Democrats yesterday pressed NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell to provide Congress with the findings of the league's investigation into the Washington football team workplace and details of the NFL's handling of the probe, and that would include the 650,000 emails. Take it or leave it. You would be intrigued to see what's in those 650,000 150,000 emails, especially the ones from Daniel Snyder, about the Rams relocation. I'll take that. You don't find the Washington football team $10 million without there being something that's noteworthy in those emails Mm -hmm. or something that you found out that was inappropriate going down within the culture of the Washington football team. And yes, of course, I would be very interested to click on the relocation file and see what old Danny boy was saying to perhaps Stan or Roger Goodell about... He and Jira are buddies. And Jerry, yeah, of course. I would love to see that email correspondence. Yeah, I hope that we... And I don't even know if there would be a St. Louis portion of the emails because I do believe the 650,000 were exclusively about the workplace at the Washington football team. But I think Congress should go a little farther. What do you think Jerry Jones' email sign-off is? Some people say thanks, exclamation point. Some people say best. Some people say cheers. How about them cowboys? <laughs> How about them cowboys, yeah. Jerry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's probably it. Yeah. Or uh, Jared Jones, HOF, whatever, 2000. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't even have a thanks, yeah. appreciate you. Yeah, no. Talk soon. Jared. Jared. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. So, Randy, the New York Giants, not Great, not great. They're off to a one and five start right now. This comes off of a six and ten season last year. And Joe Judge, their head coach, is not pointing blame anywhere but squarely at himself. He said, There's your answer. I'm the head coach. It's my responsibility, point blank. Every player on this field, every position group, the execution, it all comes down to me. The fish stinks from the head down. So Joe Judge, 7-15 record as the head coach of the New York Giants. Take it or leave it. He just publicly admitted that he should be fired. I'm going to take that. If the I fish am. stinks from the head down, it's quite a line. Yeah. You know, you'd like to believe that your conspiracy theories about the NFL being fixed are correct. But if the NFL was fixed, there's no way the Jets and Giants both would be so horrific. For sure. They would, they would, the fix would be in on both yeah. of them. Remember Benny Cunningham, the old Rams How running How could back? I forget old Benny boy? Benny Cunningham claims that the NFL is scripted, but that he can't say anything about it because he's got an NDA. <laughs> yep. I'm sorry. That was. How great is that? So unexpected that Benny Cunningham would have an NDA. Yeah, right. Of all people. You know, you could see Todd Gurley or something like that. You could see Isaac Bruce even. But You mean to tell me that of all the players that have played football throughout the NFL's history, that not one of them would have broken the NDA? Not one of them would have so. had one too many or 
said, go ahead and sue me. I'm I'm going on Dateline or yeah. whatever it may be. I'm going on the Today Show. I'm calling a POTA. Right. I'm blowing the lid off this thing. No. He, that he, every football player respects the NDA. Come on. He wrote on Reddit, the NFL is scripted, but they make us sign something so that we can't go into detail. Tired of holding back. <laughs> Who want the full story? We need to call Benny. We need to get Benny on the show. Yep. I want the full story. Yep. Also, can he produce a copy of the NDA? That's a great question, and we'll ask that. If he is ready to talk, I want to see a copy of the NDA. Is that something they just slide in on the last page of your contract? Okay. Ne- next week. Next okay. week. Okay. Benny. Benny, we're coming for you. Yep. We would love to talk. Hit us up. All right. Your text, 65780. And by the way, Joe Judge should be fired. Uh, boy, the Bill Belichick coaching tree has not done well. I, I can't wait for you to read Seth Wickersham's book. Um it's better to be feared. It's about Brady, Belichick, and the Patriots dynasty. Highly recommend. But one thing that is very pointed within the book is that every single ounce of success there is through Belichick. Everything runs through Belichick yeah. because when they first had success in the early 2000s and a lot of his assistant coaches and his coordinators became hot ticket items, there was concern that there was going to be a brain drain within the Patriots organization. And people within the building told Seth, it's all Bill. It is all Bill. And Ernie Adams. Has he written, have you heard about Ernie Adams in the book yet? Yes. Ernie Adams is something. Kind of interesting, a interesting character. Yeah. One time, and we'll get to your text here in one moment, and this is a story that has, uh, it, it's out there in public, but v- Rick Venturi was in the room when Art Modell with the Browns said, I'll give anybody in this room $10,000 if they can tell me what Ernie Adams does in our organization. Because he was a, a Belichick guy, mm-hmm. wouldn't talk to anybody in the organization, even the owner. And so nobody ever did tell Art Modell because Belichick was the only one that could. Nobody could Nobody no. could identify what he right. did. And I think it was a Seth book about uh, another Patriots book where Ernie Adams and Belichick get on the plane from New England to New Orleans for Super Bowl Thirty Six. And Ernie Adams says, hey, look, the only way we're going to stop this Rams offense is if we hold Marshall Falk coming out of the backfield every single time. And if you watch that game, they held him every single time. Changed the rules. Well, they caused enforcement of the defensive holding rule. They used to never be called. Now you see it all the time. All right, your text, 65780. Andrew, what do you got? All right, well, speaking of bad football teams, Washington, they play Green Bay this week. So this just the two of us, Aaron Rodgers. Here we go. <laughs> so from the three one four, take it or leave it. There will be at least two NFL teams that lose by twenty or more points this week. Oh yeah, I'm going to take that. Let me pull up the schedule here. There are some uh, massive spreads for this week's game games. Uh, so Washington Green Bay. So we're talking double digit here. That's a good contender. Yeah. Um, Packers favored by seven and a half. Let's see here. Uh, oh, Rams Detroit. Yep. That's a contender. Patriots favored by seven over the Jets. That could do it. What about the Cardinals facing the Texans? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Ravens over the Bengals. Ravens a six and a half point favorite. I could see that. What about Tampa Bay Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, the big ones are late afternoon. So three o'clock, Rams sixteen by uh, favor by sixteen over the Lions. The Cardinals favor by seventeen and a half over the Texans. Bucks favor by twelve and a half over the Bears. Those are the uh, 
three of the, the late games. The other late game is Raiders favored by three over the Eagles. Oh, yes, Raiders-Eagles. I feel like Carolina in New York, if Carolina can figure things out and play the way that they did the beginning of the season, I feel like that could compete for maybe a 20-point game. Hard to do it without McCaffrey. Though. Right. Maybe but I'm just high on Chuba Hubbard. I don't know. Sam Darnold playing at uh, MetLife Stadium, mm-hmm. though. That is true. His old stomping grounds. Mm-hmm. All right. From the 314, take it or leave it, the Blues will have the most wins in the NHL this year. I'm going to leave that just because you got 31 other teams. Yeah. I'll take the field. I will take the field as well. All right. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals waited until Wednesday with Wayno were complete before firing Mike Schilt. I'll take that. Yeah. They knew Adam was in studio with us. They waited until the interview was over. What did what happen? An hour and a half afterwards? Right. They didn't want to drop that news while Adam was on air with us. They listened. They knew what was up. They didn't they, want to get Adam's reaction live on the radio. We wish they would have. Me too. That would have been amazing. Been but yep. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Coming up, should be you be a little bit more fired up about the Cardinals removing Mike Schilt from his position? Michelle's got a great theory on this, and she's going to present it to you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. It's 8.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We're now more than a week removed from the Cardinals firing Mike Schilt as their manager, and hopefully we're getting closer and closer within a couple of weeks of them getting a new manager. And I think a lot of us are saying, man, three straight trips to the playoffs. How can you get rid of this guy? But, Michelle, I, I think you have an interesting take here in thinking outside the box and looking at this from multiple angles. Yeah, there's still a lot of residue here because we still haven't gotten a lot of answers as to what the philosophical differences were between Mike Schilt and John Mozeliak and the Cardinals front office and and ownership. Obviously, Mr. DeWitt, the DeWitts have a hand in this firing as well. Mm -hmm. But as the days go by, I'm trying to look at this from every angle. And there's one angle that keeps marinating for me that I don't think we've really explored. And Randy, part of our job is to be a vessel for the fans. We get to see the text line. We get to see the tweets. People leave mic drops all the time. We hear what fans think, I think, more than the average bear. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we consistently hear from Cardinals fans is that they do not think the DeWitts and Mo are aggressive enough. A lot of times fans insinuate that the DeWitts and Mo settle for okay because butts will always be in the seats, that it's about the almighty dollar, not the quest for a championship. And if that's how you think and you want them to be more aggressive in their pursuit of winning, shouldn't you be excited that they fired Mike Schilt? And stick with me here. Stick with me for a second. Because you're probably thinking, Michelle, that makes no sense. Mike Schilt was the National League Manager of the Year. He took the team to the postseason three years in a row, overcoming a COVID outbreak and losing Jack Flaherty. He's proven himself to be a good manager. He's won. So that doesn't make any sense. But clearly, John Mozeliak and the front office 
feel so confident in their path to success that they are not going to have anybody aboard that ship that they don't think is going to get on board with the philosophies that are going to win them a championship. And if you're John Mosaic and you do feel comfortable in your job, your contract is expiring in 2023. Why would you want to put the spotlight on yourself and have the heat cranked up and have everyone point the finger squarely at you if this doesn't work out? It would have been much easier for them to stick with Mike Chilt despite the philosophical differences and keep harmony within the group. For them to go out and make this move and to do it so suddenly, this is what fans have clamored for for so long is for the Cardinals to act with a sense of urgency and not settle for mediocre, to go towards whatever it's going to take to have them win a championship. And so if they're saying Mike Schilt, good manager, maybe not a great one, and we need to be great, I think maybe Cardinals fans should should let that sink in for a little bit and look at this through a different lens. I would have a different feeling about it if they had said that. When the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got rid of Tony Dungy to bring in John Gruden, they said, we love the job that Tony Dungy has done, but we need to get to the next level, and we feel like we've maxed out with Tony Dungy, and they go on and win the Super Bowl the next year. The New York Yankees went to the playoffs a couple of years under Buck Showalter, said, and this is George Steinbrenner, saying we've done everything we can with Buck Showalter. We need to move to the next level. Hires Joe Torre, win the World Series not only that year, but three of the next four. Same thing happened with Buck, unfortunately, for him. And Arizona, is he, he took over that franchise at, at its inception, and then after 2000, they go to the playoffs and the, the ownership says, we've done everything we can with Buck Showalter, so we want to bring in a different voice here. So we're going to hire Bob Brenly, lo and behold, they win the, the World Series in 2001. If the Cardinals had said that, we feel like we've maxed out with Mike Schilt and we want to move to the next level because we want to win the World Series, I would feel comfortable about it. But the fact that they said philosophical differences that, that kind of gives me the feel of, okay, we're protecting ourselves in case, even if they want to go to the next level, if they don't win the World Series, we're still protected because it was philosophical differences. Okay, but by removing Mike Schilt, you're bringing in someone that you're admittedly saying to the public is on board with your philosophic, with your philosophy. That philosophical differences, that, that doesn't exist anymore when you hire the new manager because you are going to be very thorough in your interview process and make sure that they're on board. So therefore, you're putting all of the pressure on yourself saying, mm -hmm. this is the path we are taking. We're making sure everyone is following along the same path. And if you're wrong, you're the only person that can be blamed. Then they literally have to put their money where their mouth is. If they're going to introduce Carlos Marmol or Stubby Clap and say, okay, we're ready to win a World Series, and this is a piece to us winning, they can't have that be the final piece. Then they have to go out and get the players. They need to get a really good left-handed hitter to replace Matt Carpenter coming off the bench. They need to have a veteran presence. Love uh, what Ron Doan did, mm -hmm. but you need professional pinch hitters coming off the bench. You need to have a deep bullpen. You need to protect yourself because you didn't last year with that starting rotation. We all thought they had and they hadn't, but you need to have multiple starting pitchers. It's just like what we talked about earlier with having enough good players so that you can get to this time of year, October, and still be able to win a game when you lose two of your best guys like the Dodgers did last night. And if the Cardinals say that, then I want them to put it into action by getting the players to supplement and benefit that manager. Their actions and their acquisitions are going to 
see if this theory is correct. And again, this is just looking at it from a different lens mm -hmm. because we're trying to still examine this from every possible angle. But it does seem like they are finally acting with a sense of urgency. Yeah. And isn't that what fans have always complained about? This team doesn't put their foot on the gas. They don't go out there and do everything they can to win. But if you're at this point, and it's been since 2011, since you've won a World Series, you've had postseason success, generally since that time, you've been a successful organization. But with the fans in St. Louis, that's not good enough. Unless you win a championship, it's not good enough. And when you have a window to win with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, you still have Jack Flaherty. It's the last season of Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina, likely, or so they say. <laughs> yep. This is a very finite amount of time for you to really go for it. And if you don't think the manager is the correct guy at the helm to lead you to the promised land, they're acting with a swiftness. And I don't want to be maudlin here, but since I'm getting older, I, I can be real about this. Bill DeWitt is 80 years old now. How many more opportunities is he going to have to win a World Series? He's not living to 150. We know that, I think. He, he could go all Ted Williams and you know, hope to make a comeback. I don't know, Randy. Rich people have different avenues. Yeah, they, they have do. different science that they're accessed. You never know. If indeed, by the way, Ted Williams is brought back as another being because his head is frozen. Mm -hmm. Is that like the best comeback player of the year story ever? Yeah, he's a lock for that award. Yeah, no doubt about it. <laughs> but anyway, Bill DeWitt, I, I would hope that he feels a sense of urgency from that perspective as well. Because, and he's in great shape, he's sharp as a tack, but I, I would hope that as an organization, they do feel, uh, first of all, responsibility to win because they, they did take over this team as a trust when they bought it for $140 million with the parking garages, by the way, in the stadium. But I would also hope that not only do they feel that pressure, but they react to that pressure to do everything they can to win a World Series. And, and, and I'm not saying spend $300 million. I'm saying within the confines of what they want to do business-wise, mm -hmm. that they do it right, that you don't have Andrew Miller's on the payroll, and you, all due respect, or, or Matt Carpenter's on the payroll, or Carlos Martinez is on the payroll, or paying Dexter Fowler to play for somebody else. When you have $165 million payroll and $160 million of it is going to those four guys, or when 60 of the 165 is going to those four guys, that's a problem. But if you're John Mosaloc and you go to Mr. DeWitt and you implore him that this is the, the, the decision that should be made and he's on board with this and you've gotten rid of Mike Matheny who went to a World Series and then Mike Schilt who's been with the organization for 18 years and as we've talked about his philosophy and his way of winning was the cardinal way he has mm -hmm. the george kissel book he is as cardinals as it comes and you convince him or he's in, he's involved in those conversations as he said in in the uh in the press conference when they announced that they were parting ways with mike schilt but they fired him they fired him i know i hate saying that though because he's such a nice guy and it just sounds so bad but he did get fired and you have gotten him on board with jeff albert with advanced analytics and this is the the route that you're going to take because you think it's going to give you a championship there's only one person that can be fired if this does not work yep. or one just like joe judge said with the giants the fish stinks from the head down so if you're a cardinals fan i don't know maybe maybe look at it in a different way because the more i think about it i'm like should i be more confident in this philosophy because they're really confident in it they are so confident that this is going to mm -hmm. work and that everybody needs to get on board with this and that if you're even a little bit off board, you're not going to be with the club anymore. Should I be more confident 
in this? Well, I'll say this. They better win. They better win. Right. But you're but yeah. you clearly feel so good about what you've mm-hmm. implemented within the organization that you have no problem sitting on the hottest seat that there is. And you've had a lot of success. So their their thought process, hopefully, is backed up. By the way, I, w- your discussion there brings me to mind the 2015 Marlins, who, when they fired Mike Redmond, their manager, the owners basically told the GM at the time, Dan Jennings, hey, you put it together, you go manage it. And they let D- Dan Jennings manage the team for the rest of the, se- the season to a 55 and 69 record. So I don't think that'll ever happen here. But it'd be pretty funny if the owner would say, okay, you put it together, you go manage it. I would be entertained. I think we all would. (laughs) That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, your St. Louis Blues will have their home opener tomorrow as we get ready for the home opener. A little bit of a preview coming your way on Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Blues open up their home season tomorrow night against the L.A. Kings at Enterprise Center. And by the way, there's just going to be a massive party on 14th Street. Michelle, it's going to be great. And uh, we're looking forward to the day, finally, that Enterprise Center can be filled up again. Because we haven't had it since March of 2020. Last time was right after Jay Bowmeister. Doesn't it seem like forever? Right after Jay Bowmeister had his heart ailment. I think we've had one or two home games with a full house since then. That seems like 10 years ago. It really does, doesn't it? Yeah. It's going to be an incredible scene, though, at Enterprise Center this weekend. It'll be great, and we'll bring you up to date more on uh, the the party tomorrow. But as the Blues get ready to take on the Kings in Game 1, and by the way, the Kings are a really good team. They're 3-0. They're tied for the division lead. And head coach Craig Bruby said the other night that uh, he was pretty excited can the Blues gain some confidence from this 3-0 start on the road? We, Yeah, definitely. I don't know, guys. You know, you take it one game. You know, we played tonight. I'm not I'm, – this game's in the past already for me. We're going to focus on L.A. And, you know, L.A.'s a very good team. So, yeah, you take momentum from it. And, yeah, we're going to be a confident hockey team for sure. But the bottom line is, we, you know, we got to keep improving – and we got to we got to just stay with the way we want to play and play the right way. That's that's the process, and you got to just keep pounding away at it. We got as coaches, we got to keep pounding our players, keep getting them in, and keep getting it into them, because it can you know it can go the other way. You know you can't take anything for granted. The Blues off to their best start in decades. I don't know how that doesn't inspire a little bit mm-hmm. of confidence in the team heading into their first game at home this season but Craig Berube's absolutely right you have to turn the page you can't just rely on what's already happened you need to focus on the opponent that's ahead but Randy one thing that we did learn about the Blues not a great bubble team not a great no. COVID team and I think it's going to be a breath of fresh air for a lot of guys on this team to get back home and have a loud and energetic enterprise center because we know that this is a team that has a lot of players that feed off of that environment. Even the goalie, which you don't think of ordinarily for a goalie, but it always sticks in my mind what Jordan Biddington said during last year's training camp in December that he didn't realize it either, but he needs the emotion of the crowd to be his best. And you kind of get it with his personality. Mm -hmm. Once you hear it and think about it, you say, Okay, that makes sense. But this is not a team that is built on a load of talent like 
the Oilers with McDavid and Dreisaitl and, and, and those guys. This is a team that's built on forechecking and being able to play with energy. And energy, generally, in hockey comes from the crowd. So I can understand why they have not performed as well, especially at home, without the crowd as they do when the crowd is there. Yeah, when Jordan Bennington says, do I look nervous, it's hard to look or feel nervous in front of an empty arena. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> you know right, what I mean. It it's it's yeah. a completely different mindset. Yeah, and Bennington was asked the same question: three and zero on the road. What can you take from this? It's a good road trip for us, and uh, you know we got to keep keep building, keep working hard, and, and having fun as a team, and just take it one game at a time. Do you buy into the chemistry thing? I do. I think chemistry played such a huge role in the Stanley Cup championship, and I also believe that last year in not being able to bond, not being able to go out to dinner, not being able to go out to Jack's Bar in Philadelphia, they didn't have that opportunity because they were in the West. But <laughs> what what got everything started in 2019? It was playing Gloria over and over and over again after hearing it at Jack's Bar. And that kind of was the linchpin for the Blues going on the 11-game winning streak and rolling to the Stanley Cup championship. Some teams... I, again, I think Tampa Bay is one of those teams that can get by on talent, although it took Pat Maroon to get there to bring them together and win. But the Blues, I believe, need to have chemistry, camaraderie. That's a prerequisite to their success. They can't win without it. Other teams have enough talent to win without it. Blues don't have an MVP. They don't have a McDavid or a Kucherov or a McKinnon on their roster that's going to carry the team for a while. They need to be tight. Maybe they have a Vladimir Tarasenko, though, Randy. Who knows? Maybe that's cooking. And he was incredible the other night. But he's another guy that loves the idea of having some chemistry. And one thing that you can see, at least on the ice, is that they are getting along. And he was asked if the trip to Vail, the bonding trip, could benefit this group in the long term. The team was together, just having a good time, you know, spend some time with the guys, have some fun. And uh, it's always nice to have... Um, you know, some time off before season. We skated there a few times, but um, they have a hard camp, so it was nice to, you know, go there and prepare for games. But um, like I said, now we're ready to go home, get ready for a home opener. We just heard Jordan Biddington speak, and we heard Vladimir Tarasenko speak, and both of them mentioned the word fun, mm -hmm. that they're having fun. And I do think that is so important, especially early on, for a team to have fun with one another because that does foster that chemistry. Randy, you were out on vacation last week, but we spoke to David Perron, and I was asking him about the Vail trip, and he specifically mentioned Vladimir Tarasenko, how good it was to see Vladdy having fun and having a beer and hanging out with the guys. And when you have an offseason like Vladimir Tarasenko had, it would be very easy to let all of that spill over into the regular season and to let those feelings and that tension permeate. But the leadership on this team was not going to let that happen. I think that veiled trip did wonders for a lot of members of this team, whether it was the young players, a newcomer like James Neal, who David Perron mentioned as well, but specifically somebody like Vladimir Tarasenko, who can go out to the media and say, I'm 100% in as long as I'm here and I'm going to do what I can to help the team. It's completely different when you're having beers with your teammates behind the scenes and there's no one yeah. there watching. And you can prove to them that you want to be a part of this team and you want to be a good teammate to them. And if you needed to have tough conversations, you had a real training camp to do it and you had the veil trip. So all of that stuff should be water under the bridge at this point. And hopefully it is. Now, the Blues will be playing without Brandon Saad tomorrow, unavailable because of COVID protocols. He's got a goal and an assist in the first three games. And Pavel Buchnevich, who had some fun in headbutting uh, Landon Krause of the uh, – Arizona Coyotes the other night. 
I thought it was fun at least. He will not be available tomorrow either. Suspended one more game because of that headbutt. And the Blues will play the Kings again on Monday night in their second home game. I don't think it's very fun when he got the check for that headbutt over $100,000. Yeah, probably not. Probably not fun. Depending on how much you dislike the guy, it may have been worth it. Would you... Let's round up. Let's say 150k. Would you okay. pay 150 thousand dollars to headbutt Stan Kroenke? If I had a five million dollar a year contract, I would. <laughs> yes. I'm assuming that would be the guy that you would want to headbutt. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It'd be. Yeah. It'd be worth it. Every penny. <laughs> Be worth it. Hey, don't forget the Blues Bud Light 14th Street Party presented by 101 ESPN is happening tomorrow outside Enterprise Center. Fans with or without tickets for the home opener tomorrow night are invited to join in the pregame fun. And it's taking place tomorrow afternoon. You can enjoy live music from the Steve Ewing Band, hear from Blues broadcasters, and have the chance to win Blues prizes throughout the day. Plus, Bud Light happy hour pricing, local food trucks, appearances by Louie and Barkley, and more. The Blues Bud Light 14th Street Party tomorrow starting at 2. Get details now at 101ESPN.com. As we roll on on 101 ESPN, next up, another edition of The Fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's 8.34 in the morning. The time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN, and it's time for the fight. Randy's challenger on this Friday is Brad. Good morning, Brad. How are you? Hey, good morning, Michelle. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for asking. Brad, do you have anything fun on deck for the weekend? Uh, no, I actually have to work this weekend, so it's going to be a boring weekend. Oh, well, what do you do for a living, as Dan would ask? I work in St. Louis for a laundry company. I make uh, laundry soap. Oh, very cool. That's a fun job. Yeah, it is kind of cool. Yeah, I've never met anyone that did that, so nice to meet you, Brad. Um, well, I hope that you can ride into your weekend that you have to work on a victory. I hope that you beat Randy today. Yes, I hope I do, too. I'm feeling good. All right, I love it. Well, good luck to you, Brad. Question number one, who was the last player before Chris Taylor to hit multiple home runs and a potential elimination game for his team? Was it Freddie Freeman, Corey Seager, or Carlos Correa? Give me the choices one more time. Freddie Freeman, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa. Potential elimination game. Let's go with Carlos Correa. All right, Brad. Question number two, acquired via trade with Montreal. What winger scored 44 goals and went to the 1986 All-Star game in his first full year with the Blues? Was it Eddie Beers, Jocelyn Lemieux, or Mark Hunter? Jocelyn Lemieux. Question number three for you, Brad. Who was the first player to rush for 1,000 yards in a season? Was it Beatty Feathers, Jim Brown, or Joe Perry? Uh, let's go. Uh, oh, my. Um, <laughs> oh, my, indeed. Uh, you can't go wrong with Jim Brown. Or can you? 
Go ahead. It was too easy. I'm sorry, Brad. Oh, boy, that made me feel good. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, Brad. Question number four. Kyle Schwarber is the second leadoff hitter with a Grand Slam and a League Championship Series game. Who was the first? Johnny Damon, Jimmy Rollins, or Marquise Grissom? Johnny Damon. Okay. We're checking our score here. I'm waving in Mr. Carricker. Who's chatting? No surprise there. Brad, how are you feeling? Confidence check. Uh, not great, as Mo would say. <laughs> not great. Uh, Randy, so <laughs> before the Cardinals played the Dodgers, we put up a little believe sign above the studio, t- Ted Lasso style, and we all hit the believe sign as we were coming in the studio. Didn't work for us. Didn't work for the Cardinals. But Randy just gave it a little slap before he came into the studio. He hit the believe sign. Uh, Randy, say good morning to Brad. Good morning, Brad. How are you? I'm fine, Randy. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. It is great to have you with us. Thanks for listening, and uh, thanks for playing. We do appreciate it. Uh, I love the show. My pleasure. Now, Randy, Ted Lasso, and Richmond, they're the underdogs. That's why they have to believe. You are not the underdog. Therefore, you don't need the believe sign. This is where Brad would hit the believe sign, just so you know. Okay. I I had no idea that that's what we were doing there. You don't watch old Ted Lasso? I don't have Apple TV. Oh, Randy. What are you doing, bud? I've heard that there are people that have, like, particular platforms like Apple TV or Netflix uh, or Hulu or whatever. Some people have the platform and will actually share their credentials with others. Uh, Earmuffs for people that work for Apple TV or whatever. But it does happen. It has happened. I may know someone that may be willing to share their password with you for you to watch (laughs) Ted Lasso because that is a show tailor-made for you, Randy. I love Ted Lasso. You would absolutely love it. And again, I don't know who that person may be. And if anyone from Apple is listening, love your products. You own my life. But I'm sure, Randy, someone would be generous enough to share their credentials with you. (laughs) Okay, are you ready, Mr. Carriker? I'm ready. Question number one. Who was the last player before Chris Taylor to hit multiple home runs in a potential elimination game for his team? Potential elimination game. Last guy. Um... Okay, so this would be, I don't know if Kike has done it this year or not. So I'll do the lifeline just in case. Freddie Freeman, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa. Okay, Freddie Freeman, not this year. Uh, Corey Seager was... Probably last year, not in the elimination game. They won in six. So I will go with Carlos Correa with the process of elimination here. All right, Randy. Question number two. Acquired via trade with Montreal. What winger scored 44 goals and went to the 1986 All-Star game in his first full year with the Blues? 86. Acquired from Montreal, Canadiens. (laughs) I am going to go with Mark Hunter as uh, that guy. Randy, who was the first player to rush for 1,000 yards in a season? In the National Football League? 1,000 yards in a season. Okay, so we're talking uh, late 50s, early 60s. We're talking that Hugh McElhaney, Joe Perry era. Um, Who was that other running back for Philly? I might just go Joe Perry. 
could be, could have been Frank Gifford too. I'll go Joe Perry. All right, Randy, question number four. Kyle Schwarber is the second leadoff hitter with a Grand Slam in a League Championship Series game. Who was the first? First leadoff hitter with a Grand Slam in an LCS game. Another good one. Uh, Let's see. I don't think Lonnie did it. None of our guys have done that. That I recall. Um... Hmm. I don't think Dexter did it for the Cubbies. This covers a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Too bad you burned that lifeline. I know. <laughs> yeah. So, I. It, this is LCS. You know what? I'm going to go with Johnny Damon for the Boston Red Sox. This was an incredibly close fr- fight on a Friday. Really close. Was it Randy or was it Brad? Andrew, let him know. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Just win, baby. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, oh. Brad. He, right at the uh, end right. there. I'm a Raiders fan. I, I didn't want to hear that one. Oh. <laughs> right at the end, Randy pulled out Johnny Damon to seal the victory. Let's roll it all the way back, though. So the last player before Chris Taylor to hit multiple home runs in a potential elimination game was Corey Seager. Two mm. home runs in Game 5 of the 2020 NLCS for L.A. So the player acquired via trade with Montreal that scored 44 goals and went to the 1986 All-Star Game. And his first full year with the Blues was Mark Hunter. The first player to rush for 1,000 yards in a season. Guys, you both got this incorrect. It was old Beatty Feathers. Oh, One, man. 1,004 yards in 1934 with the Bears. I know, Randy, you're going to be kicking yourself on that one all day. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Kyle Schwarber is the second leadoff hitter with a grand slam in the league championship series. The first was Johnny Damon from Boston, game seven of the 2004 ALCS. I didn't know if Randy was going to get that one. Brad, I thought it was going to the tiebreaker for you, but that's why he's mega mind. <laughs> That is Phil Collins. You cannot convince me that that is not Phil Collins. No, I think it's... uh, I I know it's Carlos. It's Carlos Santana. Someone they all told us, but that sounds identical to Phil Collins. To me. It does. It sounds like Phil Collins. All right. Well, thank you, Brad, for listening. Thank you for playing. And we hope you have an awesome weekend, even though you have to work. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. You too, Brad. Thanks for playing. And thank you very much for tuning in. Have a good one. That is Brad on 101 ESPN. No DJ Khaled today? Oh, we can find a DJ Khaled. We have I'm DJ. surprised. Hold on. On I a Friday, a... I thought you'd be all over DJ Khaled. Yeah, you would think so. I think I might have the wrong list here. Hold on. Oh, this is fun. This will be oh, sound roulette. Here we go. Uh, okay, we got it. Oh, we found it. Yep. <laughs> oh, we were going to. Here, we could do some roulette, though. Yeah, just hit a random button over there. See what comes Win, 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 win. Oh, you know that one. Yeah. So. What else you got in there? Oh, I got so much stuff. Here, you, uh, have I lost this week, Michelle? I don't think so. Oh, it's too hot. <laughs> too hot, lady. All I do is win, win. Okay, that's enough. That too hot. That took a turn. <laughs> We're slowing it down in the morning, lighting some candles. <laughs> uh, 101 ESPN. Coming up next, you're killing me, Smalls. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis. They sell the most, so you can save the most. All right, we're going to get to David Perron. But uh, we want to get to... You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. What do you got? All right, Randy. So, John Gruden, we know, got relieved of his duties as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders because of some emails that he sent 10 years ago Mm -hmm. that were uncovered by the New York Times in the investigation into the culture of the Washington football team. So, we haven't heard a lot from John Gruden since that time. But on Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel, Andrea Kramer, who recently did a profile of Raiders owner Mark Davis, explained uh, in this latest episode that a producer recently gave John Gruden a call, cold call him in fact so here's the quote Maggie Burbank who produced the story that we just did on Mark Davis she actually called Gruden and he picked the phone much I think to her surprise he's still in Las Vegas he says he's letting the dust settle and he said people who know me know what I stand for for 58 years I have a resume of 58 years the truth will come out Kramer said it's certainly cryptic the truth appears to be in what he wrote and sent to Bruce Allen. Now, I, I have no doubt in hearing from players about him that he's not a racist. I've also heard that he is a showboat, that he has a tendency to say outrageous things, and I'm sure he did with Bruce Allen. But the truth is in those emails, and regardless of when they were written, the fact of the matter is they came out in 2021. We live in a different time than it was in 2011, and his career is over. Yeah, I don't know how the truth is not in the words that you typed out. It's it's right there in black and white, yeah. the things that you said. However, I wonder if he's alluding to the truth being more about the Washington football team or more about the emails. Maybe the truth he's alluding to is that there's more to the situation than meets the eye. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that being the case. He was working for ESPN at the time. And yeah, maybe... His interactions with Bruce Allen were just part and parcel of the way people operated and spoke within the Washington football team at that time, Redskin organization. And shout out to Maggie Burbank for cold calling John Gruden. That's a good producer. Yeah, that's really a good job. All right, let's go now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and it's time for our weekly visit with blues winger David Perron, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and David is with us now. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Doing great. How about you? Good. I wasn't here last week, so I didn't get to participate in uh, the first one of these. Congratulations on the, the good start. You must be excited about the way things have gone so far. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely awesome. Uh, that's the start we wanted to have, and obviously you you go into a three-game road trip, you're expecting, you're hoping to have at least two wins out of three, and we ended up getting all three. So pretty good start. we got to keep it going. David, I know it's been only one road trip, but I remember last season you sharing with Randy and I how difficult it was for you and your teammates to socialize, especially out on the West Coast where there were a lot of restrictions. Sometimes all you guys could do would get was to be able to get something to eat and then go sit out by the pool at the hotel. But how different is it on the road this season as compared to last year? Yeah, well, it was definitely great. Um, able to go to restaurants and, and uh, obviously in the Vail trip, kind of 
hang out even a little more, have a couple of drinks together, and, and that's how you, you become tighter as a team. You want to work for each other even more. Um, the next day on the ice, you just become more and more buddies with each other, and I think you could definitely um, tell when guys were scoring or making little defensive plays that could make a big difference in the end. Everyone was on the bench talking. Uh, I love our energy right now that we got uh, in the locker room on the bench. Um, every, everyone's falling on the rope. It's a great feeling. Speaking of scoring goals, it had to be cool for you to see Vladimir Tarasenko look so good in the last game. You really haven't seen him have a performance like we saw since seven shots on net since February of 2019. So what was that like for you to see Vladdy look like the Vladimir Tarasenko that you knew? Yeah, well, hopefully I don't get to comment on his performances every week because I'm not a coach. But I guess all I can say is uh, it's exciting to see him play the way he did uh, in Vegas. Uh, had a couple of little chats with him uh, throughout the game uh, um, in the change stall in the locker room. Just keep shooting the puck. The next one's going to go in. Uh, you could tell, I think, after his like, fifth or sixth shot, he was like, oh, wow, is this going to go in ever again? And uh, sure enough, uh, we all had a good feeling that he was going to score one in the third period, and, uh, and he did. So it's great. It's going to give him a little confidence, a little uh, boost that when you do the right things, uh, his success can still be found every single night, and he will. David Perron with us on your Home of the Blues 101 ESPN. David, last Saturday when I read that you were questionable for the opener, I said to myself, there's no way he's missing the opener, especially after the frustration that you endured last year in the playoffs. Was there any way at all that you were going to miss that game in Colorado? Yeah, I was actually pretty close, to be honest with you. And, and yeah, but what probably put me over the hump saying I got to get out there and find a way is, is what you just said. And also, I think, uh, walking into the building, starting to feel the energy during warm-up from the fans that we didn't have last year, uh, full building. It, it just kind of helped, I think, even though we were on the road, it helped me uh, get through that game, get through the one in Arizona, which I, I didn't feel uh, great either. And I'm, I'm starting to get over the hump of my uh, uh, kind of injury. I'm, I'm nursing. I'm not even sure just yet if I'm skating today or not. But I feel like I'm just getting closer to being 100%. I felt pretty good in the Vegas game. And, um, that's I guess that's all I have to say on that. But definitely, uh, I didn't want to miss the, the first game of the season. Well, well, David, your teammates gave you a bit of a hard time after that game, saying that you're older now and you just need some time to let your body adjust. <laughs> well, you know, you're a young guy at 33. What's it like for you to be the old guy on the team? I, I, I hear you. It's, I've, I've been on both sides, uh, it seems like, uh, as a 19-year-old kid and as I get older, uh, slowly, uh, for sure, uh, guys are giving me trouble. I didn't really practice on, on the whole road trip uh, since Vail. I, I only did morning skate, and I'd get out there for warm-up and, and get through the game. And, and Don't worry, every single practice I'm not out there, they make sure to give it to me. And uh, That's that's what I'm talking about, about being tighter as a team. That's what you want. You want the young guys to feel comfortable to joke around, and uh, and, and that's what those trips like we did in Vail, uh, getting uh, the chance to, to, to go out to restaurants uh, before, the night before games, things like that. That's how you become tighter and you become more comfortable with each other. So it's uh, it's a great feeling. David, I know that in terms of building team chemistry and especially early in the season, getting your system implemented and second nature, that's important. But once you get going in a season, at your at the sta- this stage of your career, do you need to practice or would you just prefer to play games? <laughs> well, I think it's important to practice for certain stuff like puck touches uh, around the net. You got to keep your hands uh, sharp. I think system-wise, definitely as you get older, it's almost like it's 
it's so much in your brain. Uh, the system don't, don't change that much year to year. That that's not the part that you need. Definitely, you want to get out there, keep your legs going, uh, make sure you're prepared for the games. To to let's say uh, for us as a line, probably going to play between 17 to 20 minutes, depending on the night. Uh, so yeah, you want to be extremely sharp in all aspects of the game, and practice helps for that. But I think when you do have minor injuries, it's, it's definitely be uh, being careful with it, making sure that it doesn't get worse in the practice and. If you get through a few games like I just did now, hopefully I'm I'm over the hump and I can keep pushing forward. You told us about the energy you felt walking into the ball center in Denver. What's the energy going to be like for you tomorrow when you finally get back to a packed Enterprise Center? Yeah, well, it's going to be a, a really good feeling for sure. Um, definitely the boys are excited. It's too bad we're going to miss two of our like uh, acquisition that we had over the summer with Sauter and, and, and Bucci, and uh, obviously seeing the fans, uh, I wish they, they were able to live that. They'd get really excited to play in front of our crowd. Uh, but they'll get to do it again soon. And, uh, again, we, we want to keep that going. Hopefully we, we can get the next two wins against the LA Kings and, and keep going. David, you mentioned earlier young guys and them feeling comfortable with the team, and I wanted to ask you about Jake Neighbors. Jeremy Rutherford has a great piece up at The Athletic about the similarities and the differences between you and Jake, the 26th pick. And I know you skated with him heading into the camp. You're obviously seeing him play now. What's impressed you about Jake Neighbors and how he's adapting to this next tier of hockey? Yeah, well, I think center is helping him quite a bit through, uh, obviously, last year living uh, with him uh, in the early part of training camp, I think this uh, this year, uh, just coming back from road trip, I think he moved in again uh, for a bit, seeing how it's going to go with his nine-game nine trial, really. Um, so it, it is a lot different, I think, from, uh, for him. I think he's very mature as a young guy. I think he understands the game pretty well. Uh, he un- understands the, the team concept and, and the system, all that stuff, probably better than young guys when, when young guys came in in my, uh, in my time. Uh, so it gives him opportunities to play right away in the penalty kill, and he's he's only going to be able to build his game from there. Eventually, I'm sure he's going to end up on the power play. Um, he's a guy that likes to take the puck to that. So we're really impressed in many aspects of his game, and we're hoping he keeps building with that, keeps pushing, and who knows where it takes him. That was really cool to see his family out there for his first game. Yeah. No, yeah, he, he was out there his first game. Uh, they, they were out there his, for his first game. They were out there in Arizona. And in Vegas, and uh, I'm not sure if they're not even coming here. Maybe they will. Uh, but uh, I, I get it. They probably had uh, so many times waking up early in the morning, uh, helping him out uh, throughout his, his career, really. And as a parent, like as I'm starting to live that with my son, you don't do it for, for the end game. You do it because you, you truly enjoy going to the ring, seeing your, your kid happy, uh, scoring some goals, having fun, and and when you get a result like, like him playing in the NHL, it's just extra special, I'm pretty sure. So uh, good for them. It's great that they were there. A couple more quick things for David Braun. Number one, you mentioned that Bucinavich is going to miss tomorrow's game. And I watched that play unfold and then saw the replay. And, and one of the reasons that I could never play hockey, aside from the ha- fact that I have zero skill and I can't even skate, is that I think <laughs> my emotions would get the best of me. Are there times when something like that happens where you you see Kraus cross-check him in the face and he, he does the headbutt and you, you say to yourself, yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. It's tough to comment on that, to be honest with you. Uh, Obviously, you'd never want it to get to that point. But what we like about Bucci is exactly that: is he's got some grit, he's got some, some, some kind of pissed off energy at times. That I think when you channel that in the right area, it can really help you uh, perform at a really high level. It, it can help our team 
a lot. That's something I, at times we were lacking last year, having that that energy to not back down on anything. And obviously, you, you don't want it to boil over to those things. That's pretty much automatic um, when it comes to that. But um, I mean, I, I, I get some sometimes like that too. We all do, and uh, it just didn't channel it the right way for that time. And he's uh, he's paying the price a little bit. But at the same time, I think we, when you use that the right way, it's it's really. A, a good thing for us. Finally, you know what the, the feeling is in a room for a good team. You played on a lot of good teams here in St. Louis and elsewhere, Vegas, Anaheim. What's the feel like? And I know it's early and there's a long way to go, but what's what's the vibe like in your dressing room? No, it's great. Uh, just, again, with, with the sod news, it's just too bad. Like uh, I was talking to O'Reilly uh, after our, our last game. And I was, it was a good feeling as a line. It was really like the, the first game that we really felt comfortable with each other where we we could provide momentum every single shift we were a threat to score uh, at least half our shifts we weren't giving up much and uh sure enough the next morning uh or, or at some point during the day we we heard the news so it's it's too bad definitely the energy other than that is extremely good i think guys that came in uh, have, have really provided a lot of good energy a guy like James Neal coming in, um, he's a guy that just will not stop talking in the room. I, I've seen it firsthand in Vegas, and him and I, it's like a war consistently. It's great. I think the guys uh, enjoy it so far. Hopefully it doesn't boil over too much, but <laughs> I think everyone's having fun so far, and uh, it's, it's bringing results, and we want to keep that going. David Perron, great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time this morning. Go get him in the home opener tomorrow and then against L.A. on Monday, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Talk to you next week. You bet. Take care. David Perron, Blues Forward, with us every week on 101 ESPN. And that appearance, driven by pure performance, the only stop for all of your aftermarket vehicle needs. Isn't he great? He's the best. He's fantastic. Great to hear from him. Coming up, a little bit more Blues with Joe Vitale next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by The Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. Tomorrow, you've got the Bud Light 14th Street Party. Before the opener, you'll hear the Blues home opener against the Kings starting at 6 o'clock with Alex Ferrario in the pregame show. But 2 o'clock is when the 14th Street Party starts, and Joe Vitale will be one of the people that is up on stage getting you fired up for the game. And he's with us now on the Broad and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Joey V, good to have you with us. How you doing? Hey, Randy, I'm doing great this morning. Thanks for asking. How are you? Everything's great. And I know that you are... Because I've seen it and I've experienced it, you're great at getting people fired up. That 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 is false. I, I don't know who you're talking to, Randy. I I don't find myself as a good pep rally guy. I lean more on curbs for that. I just try to I just try to self-deprecate. I try I, I just try to make fun of myself. I guess is the best way to put it. Joey, when you were playing, who was the the pep talk guy? Who would be the guy that would get you the most fired up before games? Oh, geez. That's a, I mean, honestly, probably Paul Bissonette. Um, you know, obviously he's on TNT now. Uh, quite quite a story, actually, Michelle, as you know, um, as far as what he's done and how he's kind of shaped his, his post-career. You know, it started 
we, we were in the minors together, and that's where I kind of was a part of, you know, being in locker room with him. And then in Pittsburgh for a short stint before he got dealt over there to Arizona. Um, but, you know, he spent the later part of his career essentially just chirping people on Twitter, and then people would go back and forth. And that's how it kind of started. He was kind of one of the uh, one of the pioneers behind all that, like the start kind of that kind of chaos of, of Twitter between fans and, and athletes. And then that kind of drew into what happened we know now as Spit and Chicklets, which is a, a storytelling uh, platform for all players, uh, past and present, where they just kind of rip coaches and talk about all the good old days. It basically, it's like a locker room where people have exposure to it. So that, that was cool. And then his personality and how he can just poke fun of himself has landed him now on TNT with the greatest hockey player of all time and Wayne Gretzky. So what, what, an interesting, uh, what an interesting path for Paul Bissonnette. Um, he is goofy, but he's also very, very smart. He was definitely the, the biggest pump-up guy, I would say, Michelle. And he wasn't a, he wasn't a rah-rah guy by any stretch of the net. He wasn't like, a, let's go, boys, come on, get your head. Like, nothing like that. He was more of a, a keep-it-loose kind of guy. When, when you're playing at that level, you're already stressed enough. I mean, tensions are already tight. You're, you're playing in front of almost 20,000 people. There's millions watching. You know, I was in Pittsburgh, so we always had the NBC games. There was millions of viewers, right? Everyone wanted to see Sidney Crosby, so we were just a byproduct of that and playing in front of those environments. And, you know, so it was already very, very stressful in, in a lot of ways. But Paul would come in, and he would be, have a great way about him as far as keeping things very loose. You know, he, he had a you know, sleeve tattoo. He, he'd always come in butt naked, and he had a big sleeve tattoo, and he had, he, had, he had tattoos all up and down his ribs. And he would do, like, this stripper dance to any, any kind of techno song that was on, right? I mean, I mean, full-on stripper dance, like, on, in, in the middle of the floor. And we're all trying to get ready for the game, taping our sticks. And you just see this guy's booty just bouncing up and down. In the, and it's just like right, right on top of the, the Penguin logo. So it's just, it was one of those things where, you know, to me, he kept it on a different level of looseness where we were already so tight. Uh, he made it fun. And he helped, helped remind us that at the end of the day, we're just playing a game. It's just, it's just a game here, folks. Like, let's not, let's not overanalyze this. We're not overstressed about this. It's a game. We've been playing it since we were kids. We did it because we loved it. And it was fun. Let's, let's make sure it's still fun. And that's what I loved about ball. Um, Joey, who's that guy on this Blues team? Not the guy that will get naked and do a stripper dance, but the pump-up guy. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, obviously not being a part of that locker room. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone's stripper dancing anymore. You can't really nowadays, Michelle, with, with social media. That, that would get out. I mean, especially there's so many cameras in the locker room. You just can't, you can't really um, can't get away with that. You know, I will say one thing. I think James Neal has taken on a new dimension um, as far as, like, that character, that character guy on this team. And I, I don't know if the players and maybe even Doug Armstrong knew that when he came to try out for the team this year. Of course, you know, a situation where he's had a great career. I played with him actually in Pittsburgh for a couple of years. We crossed over. He gets dealt to Nashville for, for Patrick Hornquist. Uh, right as he gets dealt, the Penguins win back-to-back cups. So talk about a gut-wrenching feeling. Oh, by the way, he was a part of the national team that lost to the Penguins in the cup final. Then he goes in the expansion draft to Vegas. Guess what? goes to the final again, loses again to Washington Capitals. So back-to-back Stanley Cup appearances, both losses. Then he goes up to Western Canada, and, you know, just between us, he, he said it wasn't a very enjoyable experience. I, I totally understand. Edmonton, Calgary, uh, listen, this guy went from Nashville to Vegas to Calgary to Edmonton. Are you kidding me? So that, that, that was a, a bit of a shell shock for him. Uh, but now, now he gets bought out by Edmonton. He's kind of like thrown away, right? That's how it is in this, this, this world we live in, the sport of hockey. Uh, they love you when you're great, and as soon as your game starts to slip a little bit, they just kind of, they kind of throw you away. 
and that's kind of how that's kind of how James went. You know, they kind of threw him away. They bought him out. They said, "Hey, we're not going to pay. We're not going to have you play with us anymore. We're going to pay you. We're not going to have you play with us anymore." So he goes off, and Doug Armstrong comes up, picks him up. He comes in. He's a proven forty goal scorer. He's a consistent twenty to thirty goal scorer, right? I think that's what he wants to try to get back to. Uh, but so there's the goal scoring. There's the offense. But then there's the personality that I think people kind of forgot about, and I definitely forgot about. It. Uh, you know, so 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 James is one of those players. That, that will break you down but build you up. I think I talked about it with you, Michelle, and, and Dan a couple weeks ago, so I won't, I won't rehash my personal story about it. But he was a kid that would always just uh, find some way to break you down. Like, if you got a haircut and you came in the locker room, oh, my God, if James saw that, it, it, just forget about it. Like, keep your snow cap on all day long. Like, <laughs> like in order to put your helmet on, you got to quickly take your snow cap off and quickly put your helmet on, and you got to do it very fast before James – because James finds you with, your, with a haircut, God forbid you get a haircut – Oh my God! It's like it's like war zone. It's like time time over. Chaos complete erupts, right? So he, he's one for that. But he's also just a good goofy guy that, um, as he's poking fun at people, as he's poking fun at people, in, in some weird way, you're, you're bringing them in and you're actually bringing the group tighter. And there's a whole psychology about this for all sports and not not just hockey, baseball, football. You you, you ever wonder why like uh, young guys are chirped? Why, why why is there like this like seniority? Like hey, let's let's get the rookie let's get under the rookie skin there's actually there's actually a pretty meaningful psychology behind it i don't even know if people quite understand what that is but but the reality is and this goes for any line of work say, say you're in construction say you're a new guy on the job you got your shovel in your hand of course the old wily italians and and pull, you know romans are going to make fun of you right oh here's a new guy with a bucket right they're poking funny why is that well the reality is is this in the profession let's just take hockey for example in the profession of hockey People know, players know that at some point it's going to go off the rails. Like, crap's going to get crazy, right? The game's going to be on the line. You're going to be down. Uh, you're going to be down in the series, right? You're going to be in last place. You've got to claw back out. It, there's so much adversity in this sport, and there's so much tension. There's so much stress. So what they do early on is they test players out. They're, te- they're basically testing you out. So when they poke fun of you, they call you rookie, they call you lunch pail because you end up bringing the lunch pail to work the first day. And then all the, all the first three weeks they're calling you lunch pail, lunch pail. They're kind of seeing, seeing how you're reacting to it. And, and two players go different ways. Two guys go different ways. Either you, you take offense to it and you, and you quit, right? Well, well, you know what? If you're going to quit, we're rather you quit now than quit when, when, when the concrete's getting hard, right? Or we're rather you quit now before the series is on the line. So that's like the psychology behind get under their skin early, see what they're made of, see what their metal is, right? See, see how much they can take, how much they can withstand, how much they can weather, because you know at some point uh, shit's really going to hit the fan. We're going to need this guy, and is he going to be there or not? Right, so and James James was great about that. He was so great about kind of figuring out, you know, um, is this guy going to be for, be there for me when I really need him most? In order to find out, let's get under his skin a little bit early. Let's poke fun at him a little bit and see how he reacts. Hey Joey, one more quick thing for you, and uh, I might put you on the spot. I might require you to do some homework for next week. But uh, we had the discussion late summer. Why are legumes legumes? Why is a peanut not a nut, and why is it a legume? Dude, that's a that's an excellent excellent question. Um, I actually I actually don't know. I actually don't know that, Randy. I am going to do some research. Uh, I will say one thing about the nut, though. I actually had a great conversation with some of the players about what nut is greatest. Robert Bortuzzo stepped up to the plate and he, he said to me one day, "This is about a week and a half ago." He goes, "Hey, Joe, I got a question for you." I go, "Yeah, what's up?" He goes, "What nut the greatest?" I go. I don't know. That's a damn good question. Let me think about that for a minute. And we had a good little circle conversation about what nut is greatest. Guys, you know what we settled upon? Believe it or not, the walnut. The wow, walnut really? is, is, is by choice, of course, according to the players. Uh, not only uh, it's got a good crunch, 
It's got a good, uh, got a good mouth feel, but it's actually got the most omega three fatty acids, which I didn't know, but huh. apparently they did. These hockey players know more about nuts than you think. Huh. I was uh, right off the top of my head. I go almond every single time. Yeah, I would think almonds he- a healthy choice as well. Very versatile, like a superfood. Oh. Yeah, uh, almonds is a pretty standard. It's a pretty good choice. You know, the only thing I don't like, Randy Michelle, about peanuts. My wife's from the South. She, she was born in Atlanta. I always used to travel down there when we were dating to visit her. On the side of the highway, uh, is it boiled peanuts, like with the shell on and everything? Have you ever had those before? I've never had them, but I've seen the stands for them throughout Georgia, yeah. yeah. Oh, I want to vomit. I'd rather, I'd rather stop at the peaches stand. They, they, have the good, they got really good peaches <laughs> in Georgia. Yeah, really good, no doubt. Hey, we're looking yeah. forward to tomorrow. By the way, at the uh, at the pep rally hey st louis how you doing you get a little bit of applause and then you give them an i can't hear you and then oh, yeah. you, you know how to do a pep rally that's it i mean i mean it's just that simple you know i i never felt bad for like the lead singer of kiss or queen like freddie mercury he just comes out like hey, I'm <laughs> and if the crowd just goes absolutely nothing how easy is it to be a rock star and get the crowd like how you doing st louis <laughs> like come on like it's so easy i could be a rock star you have to do that now, Joey. <laughs> Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. You should. You're the man. We appreciate it. We'll see you Alrighty. soon. See you, folks. Hey, thanks for backing up the hit today. I, I was gone for the last week on the road, and my kids wanted me to drop them off at school today, so I appreciate you guys being flexible. Glad you did it. No problem at all. Thanks, Joey. Joe Vitale with us on 101 ESPN. Walnuts. The group Sur- decision as, as the superior nut. Almonds, I, I looked it up, healthy fats, fiber, protein, magnesium, and vitamin E. And they lower blood sugar levels. They reduce your blood pressure and cholesterol. And I think they taste better than walnuts. I agree. And sliced almonds, throw them in a salad. Amazing. Yeah. Interesting take by the hockey players. Yeah. Joe Vitale with us on 101 ESPN. Next up, we want to hear from you. Are you, are you fired up because the Cardinals now are actually... Going for it by replacing Mike Schilt. Are they telling you that they have the pressure to win the World Series? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. One thing we're consistent about with Character and Smallman is that we just have boiling takes, scalding <laughs> takes. And yep. Michelle has a great one, that the Cardinals have self-imposed some pressure to win big because maybe they're more desperate to win than we give them credit for being. We look at the text line, Randy. We listen to the mic drops. We see the tweets. And Cardinals fans consistently do not think that the Cardinals put their foot on the gas enough. They don't think that they go for it or push all of the chips in enough. Even after they acquire Paul Goldschmidt, not enough. Even after they acquire Nolan Arenado, you could still go out and make another move. You could still be more aggressive. So I'm trying to look at this Mike Schilt firing from all angles. And it, it kind of struck me, Randy, that I think – A lot of Cardinals fans are reacting to this and the manner in which it went down, that they didn't like that Mike Schultz was fired over the phone, that it happened during the postseason and that they had to call in a special favor from baseball to get this done, that they don't like that they didn't get a clear-cut answer as to why. They don't like the vagueness surrounding philosophical differences. But I think perhaps more importantly, a lot of fans are reacting to this news because they simply don't like John Mosellock and they they don't like and or trust Moe. But the more I marinate on this and I think about this, John Mosellock and making this move really turned the heat up on the pressure cooker for himself. 
He's got a contract coming up in 2023, and although he seems very safe, when you say our philosophy is this, and anyone that is not 100% on board with this, we're going to move past past you, it's because you're saying we're trying to win a World Series. Because Mike Schultz has had a lot of success. He took the team to the postseason three years in a row. He was the National League Manager of the Year. He was helming the ship when the Cardinals went on a historic winning streak. He's overcome a lot. The loss of Jack Flaherty, he got the team in the postseason. Last year, we were praising Mike Schultz for the way he was able to manage his team during unprecedented pandemic issues and COVID outbreaks. And John Mozeliak said in his press conference, it's not about wins and losses, it's about the philosophy. But the importance of the philosophy is because you're trying to win. It would have been far more comfortable for him to retain Mike Schultz and move forward. But by making this move, you're aiming the spotlight squarely on yourself and the philosophy you chose to implement, not only at the major league level, but throughout the organization. And he must feel pretty confident in this philosophy and pretty confident in his abilities to name the right guy. Because unless this manager wins the World Series, it's going to be generally viewed as a failure. So I'm just wondering if Cardinals fans, anyone out there is looking at it through that lens, thinking we want Mo and Mr. DeWitt to act with some urgency and to act as if they want to win the World Series. And maybe this move is just that. The Cardinals, with their desire to keep things quiet, and Mike Schilt, too, have invited these sorts of theories. And in talking to people who were all coming up with theories, the prevailing sentiment among my circle is that and, and there was a great interview that Frank Cusimano did. You can still find it at KSD, KSDK.com uh, right after the season ended. And he, Frank asked Schilt, so who do you turn to? And he said, well, I used to talk to Tony La Russa, but he's too busy now mm-hmm. managing the White Sox. So this year I've talked to Joe Torre. Tony La Russa and Joe Torre are two guys who notoriously, and Torre even with George Steinbrenner, would go and say to him, hey, it's not going to happen unless you do this for me. Uh, Tony La Russa, saying, hey, we got to have Matt Holliday. Tony La Russa saying, we got to get Colby Rasmus out of here. People that didn't take no for an answer from their front offices. And the thought process was maybe those guys being in Schilt's ear caused him to go to management and say, hey, if we're going to win, I need this. And the philosophical difference was, no, you don't. (laughs) So I like your idea better that the people that desperately want to win are still here. But... I just, because of their history, because there is that perception that they don't do everything they can to win, uh, I've fallen on that side. But in buying into your thought process, and I, I just wish, if that is the case, that they would have said it. There would have been nothing wrong with saying, look, Mike Schilt is great. But he's taken us as far as he can, and we need to move on to the next guy because we want to win a World Series now, and we think this is our window to do so. But if you say that, then you could be potentially muddying the waters for Mike Schilt as he tries to move on and get another job. If you say that publicly, how are the Padres or any other prospective employers of Mike Schilt supposed to react to that? He's good enough to get us to the playoffs. He's not good enough well, to win a World Series. That's not really a ringing endorsement for a guy who has spent 18 years in your organization and that gave his blood, sweat, and tears to the birds on the bat, and you want to do right by. But that being said, Tony Dungy immediately got a job to coach Peyton Manning. Buck Showalter immediately got a job to start a franchise mm-hmm. for the Diamondbacks. So it's not all bad sometimes. 
Tony Dungy wound up doing okay. That's true. <laughs> but I think that I they're, they're trying to keep things vague. And I think part of it is that they don't want to reveal what happened right. behind closed doors. But I think another part of it is that Mike Schilt is trying to find a job. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And one of the things Mo said in his press conference is part of my job is to protect the employees here and protect Mike Schilt. How many people listening to us right now felt great about Mike Schilt after the Cardinals got eliminated from the postseason? How many people woke up that next morning and thought, Mike Schilt, there was nothing he could have done. I'm okay with the Reyes move. I, f- I feel 100% great that he's the guy. Probably not a lot of people. There was a lot of people questioning that move. And, yes, you have to look at the complete body of work. But it just seems like a lot of people who weren't on Mike Schilt's side at that time mm-hmm. all of a sudden got on his side because they didn't like the coldness of the firing. They didn't like the timing of the firing. They didn't like the vagueness of the firing. And those are two different things. Whether you think he was the right guy and whether what you feel about the way he was dismissed, those are two separate things that I think have gotten combined together. Yeah. Do we have people weighing in on the, the old text line here? We do. From the 314, we're going to know whether Michelle's theory is true or not based on what the Cardinals do in free agency. If they go out and aggressively pursue top free agents, she's probably right. If they go for value over best available player, probably not, or at least they aren't being consistent with the messaging. And I said that earlier. I think that if indeed they want to win a World Series, then they literally have to put their money where their mouth is. And they probably have to get into... Uh, do they call it the uncomfortable? Who was it that said they, they need to? Well, Bill DeWitt the third calls it a puke point. They yeah, have the to the pass right. the puke point. From the six three six, the problem I have with this is that the co- the Cardinals, excuse me, should follow this with. But we think the guy that never managed and was on his staff is the guy. That is true. That that's a good point. But sometimes that does work out. Sometimes it doesn't. But uh, yeah, if. If you're going to really go for it, then you probably have to let go of the reins a little bit. If you want to get a Bochi, you're going to have to let go of the reins. If you're going to get a Buck Walter, you're going to have to give up a level of control that apparently they enjoy. I think so. Two more, Randy. From the 314, a good portion of the people up in arms about the Schilt firing were probably complaining about him all season. But because it's Mo versus Schilt, they're suddenly Schilt fans. And that's where I'm going with yeah. this. I think a lot of people out there aren't fans of John Mosellock. It's not that they were in on Mike Schultz. It's that they're anti-John Mosellock. There is a large portion of Cardinal Nation that feels that way. And finally, from the 573, I always believed if the front office gave Mike Schultz a more complete roster that he could take the Cardinals to the World Series. Yeah, a manager is as good as the group of players that he's given during the regular season. Manager might have an effect on two, three, four games, which now with all the parity is a, a big deal. But managers really, back in the day when they made money, not that they are making money now, but the five, six, seven million dollar a year guys, the LaRusses, the Coxes, the Tories, they made that money because of what they did in the playoffs and because of innovative things and the ability to get players to play hard and deal with pressure. And Mike never had the opportunity at least the long-term opportunity to do that with a group of players capable of winning a World Series. Can I give you one more quickly? From the 314, I didn't like the Reyes move, and I was lukewarm on Mike Schilt, but since he got fired, I hope he goes and wins multiple World Series so that the Cardinals lose and they have to fire Mo. See, there you go. And as you mentioned, Mo's contract up after 2023. But John Mozalek knows that if he makes this move and he does this in the way that he did it, that 
all of the attention and all of the pressure is now squarely on him. But is there pressure? That's the question, because he came on our show when we asked him about pressure, and he said, no, I'm, I, don't, I don't feel pressure. He's had a lot of success, and he obviously has a great relationship with Mr. DeWitt, but you don't think if he's appointed three managers now and all three don't work out that you start to ask different questions? Well, but the next one gets three, four years. The next one probably gets as long as Mo wants him to be here, right? True. So yeah, that's, th- that's how long it's going to take to determine whether or not it works. And how, how long is the window? If that's you've got the, Nolan Arnato, you've got Paul Goldschmidt, you certainly have some sort of a window to win. But what's the window? I don't think any of us know what the window is. Could it be the two years that you have Jack Flaherty left? Mm-hmm. You never know. Right. So, And that's going to be a big part of this is what's Flaherty going to think without Carpenter in the organization? Is he more or less likely? I would guess that he's probably more likely to join Carpenter in Southern California than he would be to stay at Cardinal as we speak here today. But wearing a different uniform? Yeah, the well, Dodgers or Angels, because Artie Moreno's got money coming off the books. He can pay Jack Flaherty a lot of money. That's true. So we'll see. That is Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, some news from the NFL St. Louis lawsuit yesterday. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. They don't hide their feelings, which might hurt yours. Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Here for St. Louis. Here to help you achieve more with your money. Yesterday in the St. Louis versus NFL lawsuit, as reported by Joel Courier at stltoday.com, Judge Christopher McGraw issued an order granting the NFL's motion to disqualify Bob Blitz from the case in order to preserve their right to call him as a witness at the trial that'll take place in January. Blitz, of course, part of the task force for St. Louis trying to build a new stadium. He and Dave Peacock were the task force and the NFL wants to use him as a witness, which I think would be great. Uh, uh, Blitz was part of the process in depositions and was involved in the depositions, according to Joel Courier of Roger Goodell, Kevin Demoff, Art Rooney II of the Steelers, Jerry Jones, Clark Hunt of the Chiefs, Robert Kraft of the Patriots, Stan Kroenke, NFL executive Eric Grubman, John Mara of the Giants, and former county executive Steve Stenger. And four years in, the NFL decided, well, we we don't want Bob Blitz to be part of the lawsuit in terms of being an attorney. And they say they want to put him on the stand and... As Judge McGraw wrote, here the court finds that defendants have shown that Mr. Blitz is likely a necessary witness at trial. Mr. Blitz was one of only two members of the stadium task force and was the sole representative of plaintiffs in key meetings and communications. It is my feeling, Michelle, that the NFL in playing with fire here is about to get burned because while Bob Blitz is a great attorney and by the way there is no ruling that he cannot participate in the trial away from the courthouse he just can't be part of the 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 game day activities these nfl attorneys attorneys aren't good enough to deal with bob blitz on the stand he'll he'll chew him up he 
is a KG veteran lawyer. And whatever they try to do in terms of examining him, he is going to mess up their examination. And he's going to make them look bad. But they have to call him to the stand, correct? The My impression here is that there is no requirement. However, okay. likely a necessary witness at trial is... Uh, a telling statement and Dan Lust from the Con Detrimental podcast which I joined last week yes. uh, points out that because of that line he believes that the league made the explicit argument that he was necessary and indispensable and told the judge that they did intend to call him Dan says he has to imagine they would follow that up with calling him or face the ire of Judge McGraw well, you don't want to do that. No. You don't want to invoke the ire of the judge. So when I initially saw this headline, my first thought was, oh, no, was this a big win by the NFL to remove Bob Blitz from the legal team? Because we know what a great lawyer he is. But mm -hmm. from what you're telling us, that he's just assuming a different position within the lawsuit and one that could still very much benefit the St. Louis side of things. He is still allowed to participate in the preparation of the activities as they go to court each day. At least that's my understanding. He just can't be there at the lawyer's table on the days that they're doing it. I'm sure that he would love to be there because not only was he part of the task force, but he was also an attorney that helped bring the Rams to St. Louis in the first place. He was one of the guys. But uh, the impression I get is that while they don't like the fact that this happened, the St. Louis side really thinks that he is a great weapon for them against the NFL being on the stand. So tell me if I'm interpreting this correctly. It seems like the NFL is really just grasping at straws at this point. Because They're, if you're four years into this just now making this move, you're trying to do anything you can to sway things in your favor, even minuscule things in your favor. My impression is, and I don't think that the, that side, the NFL side, would ever tell you this, but I don't think they took this seriously. And by the way, I don't believe that they have even come up with an idea for a settlement yet but i think they thought that this like many lawsuits would go away mm -hmm. and it hasn't gone away and now they're just catching up and trying to get things accomplished that they should have tried to accomplish from a legal standpoint four years ago here we are four years later this is the first thing they've really won and they're going to trial in a couple of months and they really don't have a case do you, at what point in this process do you think that the legal team representing the NFL goes to the owners, Sam Kroenke, Jerry Jones, Goodell, et cetera, and says, You're not gonna, we're not going to win this. We need to come up with an appealing settlement to present to them because there's no chance that we're going to win this. Or do you think the legal team still really does think that they have a chance to go out there and surprise everyone despite losing almost every single step of this battle? Once they lost the opportunity to get this case thrown out by an appeals court i would have gone if i were one of their attorneys to the league and said look we got we've lost our traction here and we've got a problem and we need to come up with a settlement idea the fact that they haven't tells me that they're maybe as delusional as stan Kroenke, because Kroenke still apparently believes according to people that we've talked to that he didn't do anything wrong and now Sure, they have Bob Blitz out of the case, but they're going to put him on the stand? The, the, I've never gone to law school. I've 
spent a lot of time with an attorney over the last 35 years, never gone to law school, but I feel like I have a a better grasp of how they should go about this than they do. Well, don't you think, too, partly they might not want to go to the league and say, we've lost traction, we might want to come up with a settlement here because they're admitting that they didn't do their jobs. And they're getting $1,000 an hour. Yeah, that's a lot. So, yeah, I would think that that's probably the case. But if you're the league, if I were a client, I would much rather have somebody come to me and say, hey, let's make a $5 billion bid because there's a chance that we could be out $10 billion. That's a lot of money at stake. There is. And $10 billion is not off... Uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility in the city of St. Louis. So you're telling me, even though $4 billion seemed like the, the peak here, the pinnacle of a set of the the money that St. Louis could win, that could be north of 4 that it could be all, almost a 10 Right now we're talking actual damages of roughly $4 billion. But the way St. Louis juries make awards, they gave a $2.7 billion settlement to a Johnson & Johnson plaintiff so, uh, last year. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Anything could happen in the city of St. Louis. I very much look forward to St. Louis hopefully winning this case because that will be the court of law telling the NFL you were wrong. What you Mm -hmm. did was wrong. But I can't wait for the second wave of that, if indeed that happens, for the cannibalism of the NFL to, to... us watch all the owners start sniping at each other and pointing fingers and everyone turn on Stan Kroenke and we get to watch it play out in real time. Get your popcorn ready. That's right. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to head on over to the Centene Ice Center where BK and Ferrario are going to have their show today on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. on over to the Centene Ice Center in just a moment. Michelle, do you remember where you were on October 22nd of 2011? Uh, let me give you a little hint. This okay. might might uh, spark your memory okay. a little bit. That is hammered in the left. Oh my God. That ball is absolutely murdered. Crushed by Pujols. And that makes it 11-6 here in the sixth. His third hit of the night, his first home run of this World Series. And this thing was blasted. Here's one into left center field. Back at the track, he's got another. And more respect. Unbelievable. As he's hit a three-run shot, now a two-run shot. And the Cardinals lead it 14-6 to in the seventh. Rangers fan is thinking I had to watch Pujols have four hits, two home runs. And he hits me, and here goes one in the left. How about three on the night in a row? A three-run shot, a two-run home run, and now a solo blast. And Albert Pujols has tied Reggie Jackson with three home runs against the Rangers in game three. I was home. I was, I was watching that game on TV on that Saturday night. Weren't we all? I think we are, were. Uh, where was BK 10 years ago when Albert Pujols hit three home runs in a World Series game? I was in college at the University of Missouri, Randy. So, And I would guess across the state you had a few Royals fans that were probably nonplussed that Albert was doing such damage in a World Series game. Not that they liked the Rangers by any stretch. They just hated the Cardinals' success. 
Yeah, it was less about that and more about the annoying fraternity brothers that I had <laughs> that I would have preferred to not go crazy the way that they did. So uh, it, it was all in good fun, though. Doesn't that speak to just how dramatic and unbelievable Game 6 was, too, that Albert Pujols hits three home runs in a World Series game, and it almost feels like a footnote compared yeah. to what happens next? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I remember one of my fraternity brothers, we, we lived in the Pi Kappa Alpha house at the time, um, and we had this balcony where we were on the second floor, and uh, he, he would be sitting outside. It was cold that night, or at least chilly. He would be sitting outside because he just couldn't be around anybody. Because you know how playoff baseball is. Like, it's exhausting. He just mentally couldn't do it. He couldn't be around anybody at the time. And here we are now with the World Series. Heck, we're still five days away from the start of the World Series. And BK, I said yesterday, as I was walking out, you guys were walking in. I said to uh, T-Bone, I said, I still think the Dodgers are going to win this thing. And I still think the Dodgers are going to win this thing. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm with you. Um, I it's tough, though, man. They, the Braves are better than I've given them credit for. I feel like the two teams that I was too low on all season long were the Braves and the Giants. I never gave the Giants the credit that they deserved. When you win 107 games, you're a really good team. And they took the, the Dodgers to the brink, and now we're seeing it once again with the Braves. What they did with the front office at the trade deadline, they deserve so much credit for it. They didn't just go out there and get one outfielder. They got four of them, and all of them have shown up in this series so I'm with you. I just I, I kind of assume the Dodgers are going to advance, but it's totally unfair for me to do so. Meanwhile, I see in the background that you're at the EMB Granite Studios over at the Centene Ice Center, and you're going to have a great day of talking hockey with Alex Ferrario. But there's a whole lot more going on. Yeah, absolutely. We got Jeremy Rutherford coming up at 1030 today. So we'll talk with him. We're filling in for the four hours. Danny Mac out today. Uh, coming up at 1215, we'll have our guy Joey Vitale. I know he talked with you guys earlier today. We had to be a little creative with the way that we were able to get him on as well. But we're going to start things off with that uh, that game last night. Chris Taylor, it, it feels like every time you turn on a playoff game over the last few years, he's the one that's coming up in a big spot. He's a free agent this offseason. I'm not saying he's the guy that you want the Cardinals to go out there and get, but there's a lot of interesting players that seem to be big-time playoff performers that have shown up in a big way this or this this postseason. How much does that play into Cardinals fans once for those players? We'll talk about that coming up here in just a little bit. And I want the Cardinals to find guys that are Chris Taylor before he becomes a star, and Max Muncy before he becomes a star, and Justin Turner before he becomes a star. I want the Cardinals to evaluate guys that are going to become stars so they, they get them cheap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's the goal, right? <laughs> that's, that's what they're in the business for, and that's I think that's what they're hoping a guy like Nolan Gorman can become. Yep. Or, I mean, if you look at Chris Taylor, he's probably what the ceiling looks like for Tommy Edmond, or at least what they hope the ceiling could look like for a player like that. Yep. All right, we'll be tuned in. Thank you, sir. Thank you. That is Brandon Kiley, BKM Ferrario, coming up here on 101 ESPN. A great job today by Andrew Marsh filling in for Emily Butcher. Thank you very much. There you go. Yeah. Randy, yeah. appreciate it. It was fun to work with you. Yeah, I, yeah. I had a lot of fun. I, I've done all the shows, but I have yet to do this one, and now I can check that off the list. And you probably woke up so early that you don't <laughs> want to do it again. I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> waking up early is not uh, something that I particularly like to do. Michelle, this was fun. Have a great weekend. It was, Randy. I will talk to you on Monday. Absolutely. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Until Monday morning at 7, have a great weekend, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.